So my name is Adrian Bradley. I am a BCBA in Detroit, Michigan. Um, and a few things about myself. Um, I am the co-host for Shades of ABA, the podcast. I am the president of Black Applied Behavior Analyst Incorporated. And I'm just a really chill, kick-ass person. <laughs> And I am Camille, um, better known mainly as Cami. Um, I am a behavior analyst uh, currently here in Hawaii. Um, I'm actually from Detroit, Michigan, though. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't really know about anything like special about me, but I'm pretty kick-ass, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you are. <laughs> Thank you. Well, welcome, guys. Um, thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming to talk to us. Uh, where, what do you guys want to? Where do you think we should start? So, I know you sent us an outline, but yeah, um, I think I want to just start with, you know, why are we talking about this topic um, and, and why it's important? Uh, what we're going to be talking about today is just diversity and inclusion within the ABA field and even without the in without the ABA field, not within the ABA field um, and how we can have appropriate conversations, even when there's different perspectives, and also just understanding where each of our experiences has put us within that and where we lie on that spectrum. Uh, the best topic I think we could ever be talking about right now, given yes. everything that we're living. Um, what What is a good starting point typically in this situation? Should we cover what diversity inclusion means just to give some framework and springboards for people and kind of go from there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Hit me. So for me, um, I'll go first. Diversity and inclusion for me isn't one singular thing. Um, I think for me... And a lot of times we, we talk about diversity and inclusion in relations to like race, religion, and ethnicity and culture. But I want to remind everyone that although those are included, it also is gender, age, geographical location, perspective, and on top of race, religion, etc. And it's the hot topic right now stemming from George Floyd, Breonna Tabor. Taylor, Aubrey Daniels, things like that. And unfortunate situations that have happened in the black community. But I think reminding ourselves that it's not just a race thing. Absolutely. It's like a, I feel like it's like this big, like multifaceted, almost kind of umbrella. Um, and I know like for me, like I'm black, obviously. Um, I also am like a cisgender woman and I'm also a lesbian. And so literally, like, my life is just, like, one walking intersectionality. And so, yeah, I think Adrian's right that, like, we can't only make it about, like, race. And even if we do ignorantly make it all about race, it definitely can't just be, like, black and white. There's so many just different levels to this. Um, and I, I think I think she did a good job kind of touching on, on those. I think you guys highlight, I think there's a, a very important highlight to what you're talking about in that these kind of conversations and actually I'm going to, I'm going to kind of quote your own podcast here in that, like, you know, it's uncomfortable for us to get down to these types of nitty gritty scenarios. Cause you have to deep dive into who you are. You have to talk about the things that 
piss you off that you can't prove like you don't know why they piss you off you know why they bother you um you don't know why you get offended by them and that goes every every which way of the spectrum you have to confront them um and then you have to find some kind of resolution to move forward otherwise we're not living in a civilized society anymore we're not engaging in civilized discourse like that's not a productive way to live and um the important piece though for me is more like the nuance of it like people are complicated our contexts are complicated. Our histories are complicated. Interlocking contingencies are real. They exist on a broad scale. Macro contingencies are intertwined and permeate our existence in such a way where it's like, who can really exert that level of control over their environment kind of stuff. So um, I, I just want to preface this a couple things is that just a, for me personally, how I, I've, I've decided that I really want to participate in this discussion is that like, I'm going to speak as openly as possible with you guys as we go through this. I may say something offensive and I can assure you it's not on purpose. So just check me if I say something out of line and we'll talk about it because I want to just like have a naked discussion and conversation and kind of be, you know, open and, and like not defensive about stuff. And so. that was the, the purpose of having us all on the show to have a naked conversation right. and just like a, you're not going to offend me. I'm not going to offend you. If I do say something wrong, check me. Yeah. Um, and showing the audience and showing the world that we, you can do this. You know, I have not met any of you in person. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I admire, <laughs> I've admired <laughs> most of you, all of you. Um, and so really just showing you know, the audience that don't be scared to have this conversation because what comes from this conversation is just going to be education, you know, yeah, and like profound thought. Yeah. It's also like, don't have it if you're going to like tiptoe around it and try to be all politically correct. And I just, I don't really believe in that. I just feel like if we're going to talk about it, let's talk about it. Let's be real. And honestly, let's come with the assumption that like at least one of us or all of us is going to fuck up once. You know what I mean? Like, and that's okay. I mean, right? Like, it's literally just like we're just talking. And I think the problem right now, especially, I think is like, especially like within our, or not within, only within our field, but just, I'll just say, at least applying like within the context of our field, is that like we're all so afraid, I think, to say the wrong thing. We're also afraid of our careers being affected by it. We're also afraid that our friendships are going to be affected by it or whatever. And it's like, I just, it's like to hell with that. Like, let's just literally just have a conversation. I like mean, it. to err is human and to forgive divine. Am I not mistaken? <laughs> like, I mean, like, come on, <laughs> you know, what the fuck? Like, I mean, and, yeah. and also like most people are pretty well intentioned. You know what I mean? Like I, shit posting is definitely a fun side gig for some people. And like, I've definitely done my fair share of trolling. So, I mean, Same. that would be disingenuous <laughs> to say that I would, I'm not, that, I haven't done that, but I think for the most part in these types of situations, you know, it's, it's, it's real. So I think that, you know, let's just dive into it. I mean, uh, what, what kind of questions would you have for us or, cause I mean, honestly, like I, I, we, we kind of wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of spark the discussion and probe and, and we'll see where it leads. Yeah. I wanted to also just echo that Dimitri's point of like open conversation, throw stuff at me, um, check me, things like that. I think we're all on the same page here. Yeah. I guess I first want to know, um, our experiences are different. So I want to know what your guys' experience and, and cam with you because you identify so many different things. And so with that, that causes you to get hit at so many different angles, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to know, like, what is our experience within the ABA field of either covert or overt racism, microaggressions, or anything like that from, from all of us, if we could all just give an example. 
I mean, I can give a, I, I thought about this from when you sent it and I can give, I immediately had an answer for that because immediately the first thing that popped to my high, my mind was uh, staffing actually, believe it or not. And it was actually because I work in severe behavior scenarios and like I started out in the field, I was a car salesman before I started doing this work. Like I was, I, I knew nothing. Knew nothing. Uh, slinging your whip. Like, anyone? <laughs> 60 months, 72. But anyway, uh, how far are we going here? Um, but, and uh, my first day I was put with, I'm a giant man. So I was put with all these big kids. And like, I spent the next six years getting a living shit kicked out of me and had minimal supervision and assistance. And like, that was a thing that stuck with me in a way that, that, I carried with me as I became a director and I saw in multiple situations that happening to a lot of people and, mm -hmm. and, and not and like mostly big men and like a lot of them were black actually, if we're going to be really, if we're going to be real honest about that. Okay. I had guys working for me in particular, mm -hmm. once I became a clinic director that were not eligible for promotion because they didn't quite have advanced education or anything like that. Um, and that held them back, but then also put them in the highest level of danger just in lieu of being a big person. And, um, that, that is definitely a big piece that, that as far as like impacting and seeing it and seeing how that is just a, like, like it's a baked in thing to the system in terms of behavior analysis that, um, we need to confront a little bit because I think we take cases that are outside of our scope and we rely on others to take the brunt of the challenge that goes with it without actually dealing with it directly. So that's one that was that was the first thing that pumps. It's the, I think it's that's the, actually like a really good point, though, especially how guys in the field are are kind of given oftentimes some of these very like severe cases. I even have like parents telling me right now, like, well, I think this person needs a guy. And I'm like, no, they just need somebody who knows how to manipulate a few antecedents. That's all. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's like, assume, you know what I mean? Like, it's just assumed, though, that like you can just kind of take the brunt of it. So I, I like that perspective. I don't even think about that. I, I just wanted to echo that I've, I've seen similar systems set up and developed like in Orlando, Florida, where they were literally funneling in um, people from UCF's football program to be able to staff severe behavior cases. And that was the first time that I ran into it as BCABA being like, oh, wait, like we, we select only those people for this. Like it's it's do you work in this capacity and have this size and stature and then, OK, you're going to fit um, during that time. Also, though, is where. Um, I first started working with children, inner city children with emotional behavioral disorder. And um, it was predominantly two staff to one student ratios. Um, and it was during that time where it was the first time that I was really working with extremely fluent verbal um, clients, but also working with inner city children. And I never realized this in the forefront, um, like I guess in the moment to moment, but that was also where I ran into a gentleman um, that was black and gay. And he was able to really help me understand things in a way where you could, I think in hindsight, he'd be like, this white boy doesn't know what he's talking about. Or like, he's thinking too much about the behavior analysis side. And he would, he like, we learned to work together, mesh together. And at the same time, it was like a year to two development where I realized like, we work as a team really well. And I haven't since talked with him, but I believe it's it's much of that was was him um, kindly showing me a, a way to relate and work with people at that time um, that I didn't share those shared experiences with. So um, I don't remember what our initial question was. I can wrap it up. <laughs> what our experience has been with either overt or covert racism or prejudice within the ABA field. 
Okay, so in the ABA, so to, to summarize there, I guess for me, it's, uh, I think if I were to look back and have conversations with others, I've, um, I've probably made a ton of mistakes that weren't pointed out to me that I wish were pointed out to me, but I should have been looking for them as well. So it's one of these things where I've been doing a lot of reflecting ever since uh, um, listened to y'all's podcast episode, the first one, but also the most recent one that we talked about before we jumped on air that y'all put out, um, just on like, how have I behaved? And that specific person I haven't talked to in a while. And it's probably time to have a conversation like, hey, like, what was I messing up on here? Um, but it was like, a, it was such a loving, caring, working relationship that we had um, that I feel like that's part of the reason why I didn't necessarily reflect on it. Like, he was just so damn good <laughs> at working with me. Yeah, I think for for me that you touched on two points. Number one, I want to make sure I answer our original question. Um, my first experience with prejudice um, or racism or microaggressions um, came pretty immediately, like within my first three days of exposure um, within the field. I was working... Um, in Detroit, where I live, and they had assigned me to a case, and that case was of Arabic descent. And it was a problem behavior case, so I'm like this brand new hot technician, I have no idea what I'm doing, and they don't know what they're doing either, because he has recently developed these problem behaviors, right? Um, and I remember asking, because his family, if anybody knows anything about Michigan and Dearborn, it's one of the most populated um, Arabic-speaking or Middle Eastern descent locations outside of the Middle East. So you got to really know, you know, your Arabic and understand that that city is all Arabic-speaking. Like, if I walk in and speak English, they're going to like code switch because they're so used to like their first initial language is Arabic. Um, so I asked, I was like, you know, we're giving all these instructions in English. Why can't we try this in Arabic? And I remember my then soon to be supervisor was like, well, you know, we're in America. So he's going to get taught in English. So we need to have him understand English and behave the same way in English. And I remember thinking something was wrong with that. And the mistake I made was not saying anything. So definitely think, my first experience. I think for me, like my first experience, um, like the two that kind of come off the bat is I, I've been asked, and I believe not my first um, ABA job, but when I moved down south, one of the places I interviewed at, they were super, super surprised. Like I had like, a little phone interview, like setting it up. And obviously they saw my little, like, I don't know, a little like one year resume or whatever. Anyways, there <laughs> I like show into the interview and I'm like dressed to the nine because that's how I was taught to, you know, look for um, interviews. And they're like, oh, I didn't expect you to look like this. And it was mm. just like, I don't really know what that goes to me, but okay. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> another one, um, is I had a family literally Google me. They want to see my race claiming that their eight year old son was racist and they didn't want him to have a black, ther a black therapist 
this is like before they were RBC, so they didn't want him to have a black therapist because they thought that like his racism, his eight-year-old racism was going to like hurt me. And um, I was uh, I was like the only RBT like at that time at this company. This is like, you know, like right during that shift is when you have to have your RBT. And I just remember being so put off. One, that like the the job had given them like my last name for them to even look me up anyways yeah, that's because it's like how, how on earth would they do that yeah. but Super number online. two that like they like projected this onto their eight-year-old and i'm just like this is this is insane um yeah it's pretty fucking crazy how's an eight-year-old yeah, that adrian, kind of perspective that's pretty that's you pretty know what i mean yeah and like adrian to your point though like i've i've worked with um you know kids with like a that have been indian and i've heard literally like my supervisors like mock their accent mock their some of um maybe like their like rituals or their practices and i've literally said something but then i look like i'm like tripping like i'm making it about something and so it almost makes like me look bad that i'm the black one saying something and so i think for me one of the hardest parts is like not knowing kind of like ryan what you were saying where you're like i wish i probably should have been called out and it's like that I, I never have known, I've never actually been reinforced or literally been told, like, yo, like, call me out if I'm actually doing, like, some really foul shit. <laughs> like, instead, I'm afraid that, like, my job is going to be in jeopardy or my reputation is going to be in jeopardy or, or what have you. So I think those are the ones that, that kind of come to mind first. Yeah, y'all talked a lot about that on the podcast episode that you put out there on just the, the day-to-day pressure of speaking up. And uh, yeah. that's that's insane and should be recognized much more broadly, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't have to call uh, parents to say, like, I'm going to send an email to my boss about something that is just and and should be uh, without a question um, how we treat people unequivocally and worry about losing my position. Um, it's absurd. Yeah. And I think another thing Camille said, you said that they didn't rec- they were shocked to see who you were. Mm-hmm. I get that so much, so much of like. You don't, you didn't sound black on the phone. What does sounding black mean? Because I enunciate my words. I say my S's, you know, exactly. I don't have an accent, you know? Um, And then also the other thing that I've gotten, which is more so um, not necessarily racism, but like a little bit of microaggressions is we come to work and we, and like your work has like a style, right? And as a black person in America and in the workforce in America, um, we are always taught that you have to look the part, dress the part, speak the part. You have to, and then you have to do that ten times better than your white counterpart. Um, get the minimum, not just, even like to get <laughs> like, just to get the minimum, like literally just the minimum, yeah, just the minimum. So then I would come to work, and I'm like we are professionals. We need to dress as such. So H&M is my favorite store. Um, they're cheap. You can go in there, get $5 and then, you know, <laughs> good. Um, so I, you know, when I first got my big girl BCBA job, I went and got new clothes because I was like, I'm no longer a technician. You know, I need mm-hmm. to, you know, dress up a little bit. Um, and people would always say, why are you so dressed up? why are you always just so professional? You know, you dress so professional, like dress down. And to the point where, you know, I, I had a supervisor say, you know, you can wear jeans. You you make me look bad. 
And I was like, well, how about you step it the fuck up? <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. that's more like I, the angle I would take on that one is like step the fuck up and stop being a slob piece yeah. of shit. But right. I mean, like, I mean, but yeah, yeah, you know. But I mean, like, yeah, that's it goes. I think that like when I hear that, I do hear it cut both ways. Like, I do think that the persistence of it, because mm-hmm. I definitely like I I definitely identify with the first thing that you said for your interview, because like I showed up for my first job in a suit and tie for working for kids, and literally the lady was like. Uh, this is a job with children. Why are you dressed that way? Yeah. And I was yeah. like so confused because I was used to wearing a suit to work every day. Like I thought that's how you dress to go to an adult nine to five job. Like I had no idea <laughs> that you could look like a homeless person and like be totally and fine. Still get the job. <laughs> which seems to be, it's, it's, which is kind of like BA culture, right? Like corduroy pants, a ripped ass <laughs> shirt and like no deodorant is like the, yeah. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, man, that's. Yeah, it was rough. There's a lot of. There's what, a lot of weird institutional is, shit that go on behind the scenes in some of those businesses too that people don't talk about and uh and the way that they like even, act. Even now sometimes I'm like if I just say like my spouse like there's because I am feminine presenting there's this assumption that I'm referring to like a husband and then even now I'm just like well do I correct them? Like again like will that be the thing that they're like I don't want a lesbian on my case. Like yeah. I don't like, will my job, if they do say that, like, will my job back me up? Like, it's just so many, I feel like there's just so much thought. Like I, I find myself thinking so intentionally about all these things that I say, or like all these moves that I make that I just don't believe, um, at least, and even from like conversations, like with some of my white counterparts, that they just, they simply don't have to think about. Have you had to, have you had to sit in a room with actual, like, super egregious parents because like i've had a couple of parents who literally have swastikas on their forearms like for real and uh having to navigate that was difficult for me because i want to be like like get the fuck out so what what is that like from your perspective when you're sitting there like do you just ask for a different because you're just like this is bullshit i'm not doing this or do you like plow through those feelings i just plow through i mean i was called the n-word for the first time in like literally like I was seven like I literally saw my first Klansman in Howell Michigan at Girl Scouts camp during that age and so I mean now that I'm an adult it is not something that I think it I think it affects me more on like an emotional and a deeper level than I probably portray but as far as like being professional and stuff like that I mean the reality is that I can't, I can't necessarily like do anything about it. And again, that kind of goes back to my thought process of, of like, if I react this way, I, I, because of how society is set up, I'm going to be the one that looks bad. And so, no, it's like, I literally just have to grin and bear it. And I just have to pray that, you know, if, if somebody from my company is also there, that they kind of advocate for me um, in whatever way that I guess maybe I would need advocating for. But no, like for the most part, it's like, I just, I just have to do my job. Yeah, I think for for me, I am conflicted on that. In one breath, I don't want to put myself, I don't feel as if I should have to put myself in a space where I am that uncomfortable, where I have a parent calling me the N-word, has a Confederate flag on the back of their car, you know, um, but then on the flip side of that, my like women empowerment side is like, no. Show them that you are, show them something different of what they think you are. Mm -hmm. You know, show them the professional, show them the intelligence, show them that, you know, at the end of the day, you can 
think you hate me because of my skin color, but I want to surprise you. You know, my, a lot of my motivation comes from proving people wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I get conflicted in that of, do I want to keep myself in this space so I can just prove you wrong and then dip out when I feel like I've done that yeah. or not even put myself in that emotional space because, um, us as black people don't have the option to cut off racism and cut off, you know, what's going on in the world. I was just having a, a conversation with my really good friend from Chicago this morning. And she was like, you know, we, the whole social climate thing happened. We go home. That's our brother. That's my dad. That's, that's Camille. That's me. So we go home. We are talking to our friends about it because we need to unpack that. You know, we come to work now. It's affected the ABA field all over Facebook. And we all saw that. Um, we come to work. Now, work is leaning on us as a Black people. What should our diversity and inclusion statement say? Or can you come up with the goals and the purpose of oh, our diversity and inclusion um, committee? So then on top of at home, it's at work. Then, you know, something comes up at work and they come to us first. So we don't have the option to just cut off social media, cut off work for a second. And just be us and be in this space and not worry about walking down the street. You know, I'm trying to plan a trip with my boyfriend for 4th of July. And I'm looking at some of these cities in Michigan just on Google Maps because I like to just pick random places. Yeah. And our first thought is, are we going to be safe there? I don't know. There's no one really there. And people in that area are pretty racist. And Howell's right there. So we need to go on the other side of the state. Um, We have to think about that with just planning trips. So unfortunately, as a black people, we can't just remove ourselves and just kind of be in this space of like bubbleness. That's like the um, definition of I know black people like mm-hmm. move ever. Like it's craziness. Yeah. What? And this is actually the perfect segue to a thing that I wanted to ask you guys about. Mm-hmm. What do you think of wokeness in that way where it's just like super try hard you're the black person that I know. Tell me about what I need to know about everything that is the black experience. Tell us uh, how do I behave? Like, like what, what is that? What is that? What do you, what are your thoughts about that? I don't entertain it. <laughs> I just, I literally don't. I do not have these kind of conversations or like those kind of conversations with anybody that I am not already in like a close relationship with only because it's 2020 and we all at least have Google. Like, I just, I don't, I tend to not provide too much Googleable information to people, <laughs> even if, again, like, that goes back to that whole, like, intent over, or impact over intent. Like, I appreciate the fact that finally people are just now waking up two weeks ago to this. I really, really do. But, like, my dad was born in 1955. He dealt with so much severe racism. My grandmother, not my great-grandmother, but my grandmother literally saw her brother be lynched like I have not had the luxury of like not knowing what this is like just like I, there's also me learning about other people's cultures just because like that was also a responsibility like that my parents like passed on to me um so yeah as far as the whole like performative allyship I just I'm not with it I don't I don't entertain it in fact what I do is recommend people who I will plug her right now her name is Dr. Victoria Ferris. I think this woman is so 
genius in that the work that she does is literally she does it as a white woman and you can tell her targeted audience is like white people specifically white women it seems and her whole her whole purpose is to disrupt racism and she i believe does it from a very authentic place where she even knows that it's a privilege for her to have to be the one to like get through to white people to even try to do this um so yeah, like now, like my, but, but like the close friends that I do have that are white, like we will talk about things because I see and I have known for a very long time that they're like actively doing their own work. I don't really need white friends to be like, I'm woke, like BLM. Like I just, I, I need you like to actually like do it, like do the work. I don't need you to like come and protest with me like one time and like take selfies and stuff because you think this is cute. Like this isn't fun. This isn't cute. This is like literally my life and this is literally my brother's life and you know like adrian said like her life this is literally my my spouse's life this is this is deeper than like facebook and i think i do think right now kind of to adrian's point there's like this huge wave of like let's all put out a pr like diversity thing and i just unfortunately a lot of us in the black community can see right through it <laughs> so i i'm i'm more interested in like what's to come like, like, do you spray in your eyes because you roll them so hard, or is it just like... You know uh, what I mean? Like, legit. <laughs> like, like, or, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it is pretty, I mean, like, yeah, I, I mean, I heard everywhere. that, I, I sort of got, I heard, that's why I was like, Tiana was talking about, like, I heard her say that on the podcast, and like, I mean, I know that we all know that we got a lot of shit recently, and that's fine, yeah. like, we said some, yeah. like, whatever, but I mean, like, it wasn't, it was coming from a place to make fun of that exact thing, because like, mm -hmm. that level of wokeness and the way that it's presented across day-to-day -day stuff is exhausting because it's disingenuous. It's not real. Like yeah. clicking shit on Facebook doesn't make you an activist. Like being an activist is getting up and doing some shit and like actually meeting people, actually writing something actually. And when I say writing, I mean publicizing it in such a way as that it gets attention or to change people's hearts and minds, not sharing a, a meme on the internet and like <laughs> proclaiming how, how much you give a shit about everybody else and everybody around you. And that all of a sudden gives you that kind of self-righteous feeling. So like I, I, I resonated with that so much because that was the place that I'm coming like in my mind when I make fun of that stuff that's the place that I'm coming from is pure cynicism <laughs> and I, I just wanted to I, I, I knew that you were going to say be honest about that and I just thank you so much for like speaking <laughs> that truth because it's just like I was just like thank you thank you for saying yeah, it's that. a lot <laughs> Adrian I'm sorry you're going to say something I cut you off no you're you're fine Um, and then I want to hear from Danielle um but I know I feel bad. I'm all no, that's I'm very much enjoying um, being a listener because um, <laughs> I live in a very small town and I recognized very recently that I have been really privileged to be naive to a lot of these things until recently to have had this bubble. And I remember when it was first popped, I was taking an undergraduate interpersonal psychology class with a black teacher and again in, a, in another really small town neighboring. And she spoke about her experience. Um, I think she had moved from California to where I live. And she had said that even just walking downtown, like in this small town, I think like 5,000, 8,000 people live there, that people would cross the street as she was walking. And I, I just couldn't wrap my head around that. Like I just hadn't been exposed to it, hadn't heard stories. And I just remember being so upset by it and, so that's always carried with me. And then even in, I live in Canada and um, I looked up all the 
police brutality rates up here after hearing about George Floyd and um, looked up our numbers and similar cases with the black population, but also with the Aboriginal population, the population measures to the police brutality fatality measures were just so drastically different. Yeah. And I was just so upset that I didn't know that, like that I hadn't put that effort in to learn these things. And I have some friends who are in the RCMP or the police. And so we've been working really hard to have discussions together to figure out what we can do. From I, grew that. Up in a, I grew up in a really similar situation of a small town, about 2,000, 3,000 people, conservative, middle of the nowhere, Nevada. Um, and while there wasn't um, like active forms of racism going on in the community, it was instilled that like this is the American way of life in this culture, right? And so it was just a lack of influence that was that that took me moving uh, living near uh, like the Orlando inner city and things like that to start to understand, like there's an entirely different world that I was not exposed to for the first quarter of my life. Um, and I don't remember who mentioned it here that reminded me of it, but um, about a week ago, I was, I was hiking with a friend um, younger, younger than me by, I don't know, five or so years, 25, 26. Um, and Never before have we talked about race uh, in any sort of way, but we were talking about like specifically how he's like, I don't know what to do right now on how to help. Um, you know, like he and there's some examples of like he's not one that's on social media. He's um, right now he's been without a job for four months, extremely broke. He's like, I don't know how to give. Um, treats humans with respect, but like it's one of those things where he's in a tough spot. And I was like, for me, it's been this, I guess. I think because of a learning history of not being around things, there's a complete lack of influence um, and the lack of that history and shared experiences. It starts to make more sense, but I've realized that it's it's uh, only if I program it and I work towards it, right? Um, and it was a reflection point for me when chatting with him over some beers and talking about it because it was like years ago, I didn't know anything what to do when I would see things like this and started, you know, engaging in some social media myself this time around, I still don't know what to do. Like I still don't know how to leverage things. Um, and this is a perfect example of where like Camille reached out and said, would you be open, um, right to, to opening up the platform? It's like, yes. But like, that's where for me, it's like, I don't know, you know, and it, it clearly needs to be a more, uh, systemic approach, even though it was never, I think planned, uh, with any malintent, it's just like, it's not part of the systemic approach. So, um, and I think I, I want to give a quick thank you, Camille, for that too. Yeah, I think for me, I'm on a different end of the spectrum to going back to Dimitri's original question. Yes, please. Um, I use, I said that, you know, I don't want people to ask me about it, like educate yourself first and then come to me. And then I recently had um, a coworker reach out to me because I said that on our like, you know, company call and she changed my perspective. Um, she said, and it is a lot to sentiments of what you guys are saying of like, how am I supposed to, I mean, there's Google and there's internet and like that is a very valid first point of contact. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I want to have a conversation, 
and I want to understand your perspective and you tell me that I can't come to you and have a conversation to understand your perspective, that's not necessarily being open. And in one breath, she's right. Um, So for me, I open, whether I, I know you or not, I'm open to even like starting to have that conversation and to be open to sharing my perspective um, and my experiences and then, you know, assisting you and pointing you and, okay, well, look this up or look that up or let's, let's brainstorm some ideas, you know, and I, I don't mind doing that. Now that is not the same sentiments as other people. It's not the same sentiments as Camille, right? So I don't want people to think that every black person thinks like that. Um, because I have a, I, I think differently and I'm, I'm just on a different spectrum. And I think we can talk about radicalism in relations to diversity and inclusion and where we fall on the spectrum. And I'm a little bit more moderate and I'm okay to claim that. And I'm not, that doesn't mean that I'm not for my people. Cause like, let's first and foremost, like I am black first. I protect my people first. But I'm also open to still educating other people because like Danielle and Ryan, you guys grew up in small itty bitty towns, um, probably with like maybe one black person, maybe one black (laughs) kid in the whole school, in the whole school, you know, and he most likely is going to be like you guys. His experience is going to be different. You know, um, well, I just want to say too, I'm not saying like literally if a white person is like, hey, girl, <laughs> can you give me some information? I'm just like, no, I think for me, I think right now, especially what we're seeing, it's a lot of like, it's a lot of um, emotional labor that is being asked of white or excuse me, of black people to somehow like teach I mean, years. Validate too. Years, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, uh, and and to validate and like to teach like years of like this like black history essentially. Whereas for me, I'm just like it's not that I'm not like open, but I also think Adrian, like you kind of brought up a good point in that like if your coworker is coming to you, hopefully they're coming in a place of like for real, for real, like humbly wanting to learn yeah. versus like because I'm not what I because what I won't do is like reinforce like this like white kind of fragility in these conversations because you would decide to come to me about it. I mm-hmm. think maybe like that's what I was trying to say. I probably should have like better said that. I just want like openness. Like right now, like how we're talking, we can talk, but none of you guys are like, well, I wasn't that white person. And, and, and because, and it's like, you don't have to, like, I don't need, like none of us need to be defensive. Like none of us need to act like we just have it all together. And she brought up a really good point. We are all so different in all of our experiences are so different as well. And I think, you know, she pointed out that when I made, when I said that comment in front of my entire company, um, <laughs> it was like, she was a little off-putted by it because I sit here and in one breath, I'm like, be open. And then I make that comment and now she was confused and now she's viewing it as you're saying be open, but be closed. So what kind of hypocrite are you? <laughs> yeah. um, and I was like, you know what? call me out, you know? Um, and I think maybe the way we're saying it, like you said, Camille, you know, we're not saying don't come to, well, some people are saying don't come to me. 
right? And they will flat out say that. There's a few people in my mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like, that's okay too. And that's yeah. okay. But it's also okay to be like, I just want an emotional break. And I think that's what I was getting at earlier is that us as black, I have yet to have an emotional break. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Juneteenth is coming up and Quicken Loans gave their, all of their employees basically the day off without using PTO. And so I'm like, let's go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And cause I just, I want an emotional break, but I'm also, I'm very welcoming to just open discussion and open conversation, which is, you know, exactly why we're on this show right now. And I don't think it's unreasonable to ask people to go do their own research before coming to you guys too. I mean, especially scientists to follow a code that says yeah. sort of things, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, and I feel like, I think for me, like, I mean, and maybe this is me like overgeneralizing, but like before I got into the field of autism, there was some level of research that I did before I went to my employer asking them certain questions because I felt like it was my responsibility to, I mean, literally at, at, at least just like look up something. I don't know the history, like all the history of like autism and like, I don't know like all the dates of like ADA and all this stuff, but like my, I took it upon myself to be like, yo, like before I accept this job, like maybe I should look up this company. Maybe I should look up what this field is like. Maybe I should. And I think for me, it's like that. I'm not, I'm not interested in doing laborious work off the clock that like, if we're going to explore this together, that at the very least, like we should be exploring it together. You know what I mean? Like, bi-directional relationships are the, like that's what that's what human interaction is that that's the thing that like a lot of the thing and that's i think what makes social media so difficult is that it's like Mm -hmm. put your like really reductionistic like one-sided meme out there and like make your declarative statement and like it sits there and hangs um which is fine you know that's what it's for um but it doesn't it, it doesn't create the necessary dialogue because what it boils down to like what i'm hearing from the two of you is that intention matters like what's your intention are you well-intentioned or are you just trying to cover your ass to not get exposed at some point for being a human piece of shit? Like, so, I mean, like those things are questions that go in people's minds, I'm sure. And cross your mind when you're thinking about it, because like, who is this person? What is their motivation? Why are they doing, I mean, you're conducting a soft functional analysis on them right there in front of the spot because like, you don't want to waste your time with someone who's like not being genuine and uh, and sincere about what they're looking to accomplish. You know what I mean? Through the, through the conversation you want to have. We're seeing that at a more systemic level, just with ABA organizations and professional organizations, and and like right now with the statements being put out. Um, you reminded me, Camille, at one point. Like, I know this actually goes all the way back to Adrian's first question of the experience of overt covert racism in the ABA field, but it seems that um, we have a large systemic issue. This is one extremely important one. There's others we've talked about on this podcast, and etc. That are byproduct of this gerontocracy and American sort of system that's been built um, from the BACB, ABI, like, right? Like we have, we need to redo in some ways. Um, I, I literally guess- just said that. I was like, because people, you know, I've asked this about our Baba conference and stuff like that. Um, and they were like, wow, these ideas are just so out of the box. And I'm like, listen, what we have in place right now is not working. <laughs> it's not working. So why so don't we off- break the rule wheel, 
for those yeah. of you who watch Game of Thrones, you know, this was Daenerys. There you go. Daenerys in the, um, the castle. And she was like, I'm not going to recreate the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. <laughs> and yeah. that's the approach that I think we need to, we need to take. You know, I was talking to Sarah from Texaba um, yesterday. We had this really amazing two hour un- beautiful conversation so sarah's listening to this like still yes. reminiscing about that <laughs> um but she was like listen if if we don't see it then create it you know and if we are seeing that we have these deep-rooted systemic issues then okay i can't yeah okay then um recreate something you know get that seat on the table to speak to the BACB, to speak to ABAI, right? ABAI has this diversity and inclusion statement, but let's just put it out there. You still back Dick Malat, who very publicly, you know, engaged in some pretty prejudiced and racist behaviors in front of hundreds and hundreds of people, the, right? Uh, yes, so now you have a scholarship yes. in his name. So is it, oh, he gave a lot to the field? I don't care. He doesn't respect your certificates. He doesn't respect your families, your clients, because he very comfortably got up there and said what he said. So with that being said, recreate it and, and, and be intentional. Like Dimitri, you were saying, you know, what are your intentions? And, you know, we can put out these statements and your statements is like this save face, right? But then you don't do anything after that then your statement is bs sorry if you no, don't if you don't practice call a spade that, a spade yeah. yeah 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 if you don't practice that every day and and everything you think about in your business this podcast representation everything then you're not making a difference and you're just as bad as the silence period that's what also I think has been such a interesting experience for me as far as like all of my identities, because we work in a field that, I mean, literally like reinforces, um, you know, like even like my female identity, for example, you know, there's organizations that are like just for us. Then you have, we also work in a field that is super, super embracing, um, um, at least I think of like LGBTQIA um, practitioners, we all like introduce ourselves, our name, our pronouns, this, that, and the other, but it's something about my blackness that our field somehow just like misses the mark on. And I think that for me is probably one of the most heartbreaking things about this whole thing, because like Adrian said, I can, we can't turn this off. And again, outside of everything that like she so beautifully stated about like how these last like few weeks have been for all of us, we've all been experiencing this four years <laughs> like you know what I mean but if I literally like come to like an event and I have um like my fiance oh my god like we're just so cute and can we come to like the gay bar with you guys and you know are you going to go to like that drag um concert and I'm just like but these are the same people who will not come to like a Black Lives Matter protest but these are like the same people who will not do a special task analysis for their black client who does not brush their hair the same way as their white client. These are the same people who literally will teach, um, you know, certain, certain, um, like teach police officers, for example, as like community helpers without the respect of actually 
including the fact that to this black child or to me or to their family or whoever, it may not be that simple. And I think that's what's so sad. You know, I, I've seen so many people who, again, and kind of like going back to your intentions, like they are still maybe like well-intentioned, they're well-meaning, but because they may not be open to like hearing a different perspective, they're, I don't care about their intentions. Because at that point, it's like, I care about your impact. And your yeah. impact is being very, very harmful. I have a question. I have a question. I have a question. Okay. Yeah. And this is to the group. Why do you feel like people are so, so much easier able to back LGBTQIA issues and support them than support racial issues? Well, that's a difficult question. I don't, think I've, ever, I don't think I've ever thought about it, honestly. Like, I really if I'm being totally honest with you, this. I haven't really thought about that. I, Until you just said that, I was like, you know what? Because yeah, I, I think that's why I always thought, that's why I always think of ABA as like so open-minded because there's so many people from so many type of like sexual, sexual mm -hmm. preferences, sexual, I mean, sexual orientation, sexual, re like just identity realities, mm -hmm. but there's not a lot of color diversity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's definitely a hundred percent true. And so then like, you're like, wow, why? that's interesting that for being that open-minded towards that thing, which actually in the broad sense of society, you kind of wonder like sometimes like how the, the level of acceptance there is pretty rough. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. think about it. You so why not towards people of color? Like that doesn't make any sense. But I think that, but I really think this is my theory and I could be wrong. And I literally was just talking to Casey and we got about this. Like I, I am, I'm on the, the, the mend or not the mend. I'm on the whatever about trying to learn about relational frame theory, but I really think it all boils down to that. I think besides that, I think we as, a people like as minorities, we are literally taught to think very like collectively, right? So like Adrian just said, like when when like Trayvon Martin died or was murdered rather, when Mike Brown was murdered, I literally was holding my infant nephew in my hand and it just broke my heart because that is who I associated like that death with, right? But I think for white people in particular, I think you guys are taught to think very individually, where it's like, I'm gonna go to school, like I'm gonna get this job, like I am not, like Ryan, like you're like, I'm not Danielle, I'm like nothing like Danielle, I'm also nothing like Dimitri because like I'm just me. Whereas me and Adrian, I think without us even knowing it, I think the way that like we were conditioned, like that is literally like my sister. You know what I'm saying? Like that is, I don't know. But I in part of like the whole gay matter. thing, though, uh, I don't. I, I still don't understand that part. I haven't quite figured that out. But I do think that, like, yeah. I, like I, I drive an extra thirty of, minutes and pay forty bucks for a haircut, and I'm a man, like, all just because the dude is a Greek. So I get, I understand those like, those frames of yeah, distinction yeah. of I am not. That was the first place that I thought of is like when I see. Um, I think there's a lot of in that white individualistic culture of also like that horrible person that does those sort of things is not me. Right. Which I think is where some of that silence comes from, too, is like I don't associate in any sort of way with people that are doing horrible, atrocious fucking acts. Um, and I look at them as just a horrible human being. There's a learning history there. There's et cetera that we can look at if we wanted to. But like, that's not me. So that frame of distinction, I think, is something that's really interesting there. So depersonalization. Yeah. 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 Well, the reason but, and it breeds it breeds silence, I think, which is what I'm realizing there, right? It's what's like, oh, that's not me. Like I don't do that shit. That's yeah. a different type of human that does that. Yeah. And I the reason I bring this one up is because um have you all seen about Starbucks? Mm -hmm. I, 
Oh yeah. 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 Diversity statement and then no black clothes. <laughs> no, yeah. Forget black people. But no black now clothes. You now you can. They've gone <laughs> back on it. Oh, do they flip? Oh, I now haven't been up there. And they're creating their own shirts. Uh, yeah, their so own that, Black Lives Matter shirt. So that hold on, time out real quick. I'm sorry, I know you have a point, but this just sparks a point. I don't want to lose this. How do you feel about the corporate takeover of Revolution? <laughs> you know, I actually am so I think about that all the time with Pride Month. Like with what? I sometimes Pride, Pride Month. Pride, okay. I get very like I, I don't I'm, I feel like I'm about to like lose my lesbian card or something. I get very upset with how politicized Pride is now, where I'm just like wait a second like not everybody like like people are literally like capitalizing on it you know what i mean like and it's starbucks is actually a very good example of that of they are very very open and inclusive and but like when those two black guys were like harassed a few years ago at their yeah. starbucks they didn't say anything like it's it's and even honestly within like the lgbtq community i have suffered more racism in the gay community and by gay community i should just say like in that whole umbrella lgbtqia plus community than i have like by straight people it's very this whole racism thing. It's 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 something. Can I ask you a question? Are you about to talk about like appropriation? No. In that community? Oh, okay. Have some no. say. I'll go on that tangent. No. Yes. <laughs> I want to hear about that at some point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> write that down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, do you 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 touched on you experience more prejudices and racism within the own community that you identify in? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I, I feel like I have like an idea of like where we're you're free. about to go with it. We're free. We're doing this. <laughs> this is the here's the thing. This is a controversial exchange. Like we say, fuck. Like it's all gravy. Like, do, like let's go. I, I'm worried because I'm like, damn. I really just called out ABAI. <laughs> like, uh, dude, we we do it all. The, like this is. Here's the thing. When you talk a bunch of shit on the internet, you got to be prepared for a little bit of shit to come back yeah. to you. So that's just inevitable. Yeah, that's and true. that's who, and like, this is the amount of shit that we've talked about ABA on this podcast is really, we're still card carrying members. Of the, well, actually, not really, but I mean, whatever. We're still part of the club generally. So you're good. Do you? Okay. So no one cares. <laughs> like they care a little bit. There, there's a, but there's like, I really believe like there's a truth to what y'all are talking about. And there's a reason that you see certificates extremely exploding and you're seeing these professional organizations not getting those people so like there's there's something to this right yeah. that you're talking about like but let's not lose momentum go, go yeah so camille do you feel like you have experienced not more prejudice or racism but have experienced either a even amount of prejudice and racism from your own black people and it might be like slight i, I would actually hope it I was actually, you're talking about like as far as like my LGBTQIA plus identity. Or you your, black, your black identity. Like, so I was actually, but I was like, I wonder, I, I didn't know if you were going to go here or somewhere else. So actually, yes. So I think actually about like the black community um, um, as a collective. And first of all, I just want to preface this by saying I am so blessed, like with the, honestly, overall with like the love and the acceptance and all that stuff I've really gotten truly. So I just want to preface this by saying, but I just mean like as a collective, um, my my uh, queer identity is not accepted by the black community. And then my blackness <laughs> is not accepted by the queer community. And then within the black community, yes. So the same kind of, um, the same kind of insults that like Adrian and I were kind of talking about that like we've gotten like the about like the way I speak. Yeah. like. I get that from the black community. And I think that is because we also are a byproduct of white supremacy. So a lot of these things that we are taught about ourselves to hate about ourselves 
while there is a huge push, a huge push to like accept these things, being like our natural hair, accepting like our brown skin, um, maybe some people like don't like the whole cold switching. Like we really are, I think, are a part of a time and a part of a generation where like we're taught to accept all these things. Of course, black people, um, I, I definitely have heard um, some of those very same insults from from black people as well. And I think that's what's so hard because like we are literally like regurgitating these things that hurt us so much. I, but honestly, I can feel like, so I've had a client, a pretty, um, a pretty uh, vocal client, and some of the things that they would say about themselves, you could tell that they heard about themselves like at school, they, and they called themselves stupid, they called themselves um, like slow, they would call themselves these things and, and without knowing the power of those, right? And without knowing really, I think the heartbreak behind those, but to identify as these things and to call themselves these things. And then they would like call their peers these things. Um, it was like, it, it was almost interesting kind of seeing this cycle, you know, like play out in front of me that I also have also like experienced myself where I'm just like, I shouldn't be hearing the same insults from like my white, you know, maybe racist, um, like, I don't know, um, employer that that and and hearing them also from like my cousin or my friend or whatever yeah so yeah to answer your question and I yeah, think it's we're in this space where we're calling out this group of people over here have done us wrong called us these wrong things right and you talked about individual like identifying as a group and identifying as an individual, right? So we are taught to majority of the time identify as a group, but within that group, we are sometimes individualized of like, oh, you got the good hair or, oh, you passed the paper bag test. So, you know, you can go inside, you know? Um, and I, I want to challenge, this movement is definitely about, um, Black social injustices and the Black community. And one of the things that we're asking of people is to do a self-assessment and look at their own behavior. You know, like Danielle and Ryan and Dimitri, you know, over the last couple of days or weeks, you guys have been doing some self-reflection and said, you know, how have I contributed to, you know, the systemic racism that's going on um, or the, their lack thereof of diversity and, and equity, either within the field or within your personal lives. But I don't want to forget that we also need to do self-reflections because Absolutely. just like um, my coworker, and I had a really nice conversation um, with another individual who kind of got social media attacked, and I, I do want to talk about that. Oh, yeah, uh, let's do it. I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I've been hoping to. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get there. <laughs> um, and they have changed my perspective and and have allowed me to recognize, like, you know what, bitch, you need to do some self reflection too. You ain't all squeaky clean. <laughs> whether that's just and whether that's with white people, my people, Arabic, Middle Eastern, yeah. whatever, Asian, whatever, because we also have some things to to improve on now i'm not saying let me be clear this is not an all lives matter statement black lives matter okay and that's what this is about like period <laughs> i mean we listen i think i think it's well and this is this might be one of those times where mike gets interpreted wrong so i'm, I'm gonna just say it 
I think one of the things that you can recognize the fact that there's a lot of work to be done across the board, okay, and also see that there's been injustice pretty widely distributed across a variety of groups. But I also think that part of it is just saying, listen, it was harder for black people. They get first in line. Like yeah. they're first on the list and then we work down the rest of the list. I mean, I think you can say I, that and, and be consistent and congruent with the perspective. See, I don't know. I, I think I, indigenous people have had. I mean, trust. yeah, absolutely. You know? You're right. Indigenous um, people. I go literally first ask first. people. I'm just like, listen, like, so I have cancer and the kind of cancer I had, I had ovarian cancer. And as we know, breast cancer is like on the map. Like you hear about fucking Susan G everywhere, right? <laughs> and so when I talk about ovarian cancer, I am very passionate about it. I am like very, very passionate about it. So with that being said, I can empathize with the whole like, but what about ovarian cancer? But the reality is, if I am literally arguing, like, you know, that quite literally cancer just fucking sucks, right? Like nobody just like signs up and they're like, cool, like let me have it. Um, then it's okay to like put one, you know, like in the spotlight. And I think for me, if it's like, if all lives really matter, then like, why the fuck aren't you outraged? Like, why aren't you outraged that, that there are literally people who are being murdered, people period, like who are literally like just being murdered without there being an equal amount or equal like ratio of people who are actually being punished appropriately for murder. Like what? What do you and think of the contingencies? Can, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what do you think of the contingencies that have finally made the move? Because, I mean, if we're going to be real about this, it does feel different this time, right? I mean, it feels a little but different. That's, like there's absolutely. something in the air. Like there's a little bit of electricity that it doesn't feel mm -hmm. like every other instance in time that it's happened. And there's a lot more people in a lot more diverse crowd. Like it's not just black people doing yeah. it. Like There's white people on the streets yeah. too. There's, I mean, everybody's out there. There's a lot of people. Um, what, what do you think is so different about this time? I think that number one, we're in a pandemic that is causing us to like be at home and do nothing but this <laughs> scroll, you know, scrolling. So the outrage porn is there like, nonstop. <laughs> you know, but then also the difference between this video and other videos that are out there and other um how the media portrays this this george was in like you couldn't argue another side there was no oh they tried it with his hypertension or whatever the fuck yeah. right you tried it but like no right um you couldn't say oh he had drugs in his system so he deserved to be murdered like oh you couldn't say he had a pass you know he stole something from target who hasn't stole something from target <laughs> okay raising my hand all of you can raise your hand too <laughs> more like sears or circuit city but i'm with you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go there you <laughs> go you're like target's not big enough sis you're big <laughs> yeah no. um but you can't you can't dispute this it was it was clear as day yeah, I mean, if Sean Hannity is, uh, is actually like it's like it's like you slept through a wormhole and you're an alternate reality. Yeah, um, I also think too. But can like, I just push back a little bit? I mean, do you think that do you think that even as graphic as that was, is that enough to motivate so many people to get out there? Because I I have a little bit of an additional narrative that I think is is missing from that, and I think that the reality of the economic factors is part of the pandemic too. And the reality of all the other things that are going on is also, I think, starting to get 
people that have not been previously marginalized to start experiencing some of the discomfort that they never yeah. thought they'd anticipate in their life. Yes. Yeah. So now like yeah. this is like what does it look like when you have one and a half trillion dollars of student loan debt on people who didn't know what that was going to look like and are never going to really see the other side of middle class? What does it look like when properties values increase in such a way where even, you know, they're having to delay getting married, having children, starting their lives and meeting adulthood and it's fully and, and achieving that dream that they were sold when they were little kids. Um, and then meeting the utter disappointment of what that looks like and having those contingencies buried down. So, I mean, I want to believe that we live in a world that people are out there marching for that reason because they just felt that they felt the empathy. And I, and of course it's, it was an event that triggered that, but I, I think that when it boils down to it, the, the real reason they finally got up is because like, okay, this is an injustice that is undeniable and it matters and then now the setting events and the contingencies are in place to motivate the participation in such a way where there's i mean i think you just can't remove the selfish component from human nature out of it i just think self-motivated it's just it's just real like it's just it's there well one of the questions i keep on bringing it to people um is you know i feel like one of the push the pushbacks right now or or has always been it's like well what about like the good cops not all cops are bad and this and the other and so for me I'm just like okay well when I think about goodness I think about when I was taught about being good it was literally as a kid you have fucking superheroes you have fairy tales and a part of their goodness is solving or policing badness that's not a word but bad behavior yeah so for me (laughs) what one of the things that I have been really really curious about um is how good are you if you're a bystander to badness and I think the, 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 one of the most interesting things is that when people, I think, when, when all of us, I think we do it where we're like, well, I'm not like them. Like, and it's like, but are we not like them? Like, or are we like somehow good because like, we're just not the ones like doing like the murdering or are we like somehow good because like, we're like not the ones who are like, you know, calling the cops on like innocent black people for like telling us to put our dog on a leash. Like, like what is it about us? Or what is it about, like, in any field? I mean, because literally, like, a part of our ethical code is to call each other out if we see other analysts and RBTs, like, not being good or, like, ethical. And I would believe, and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, that other professions, such as the police, would also kind of have those kind of contingencies. And so for me, it's like, I think what makes me sad is that there obviously are, like, some social kind of contingencies in place where... Um, police as a police officer I imagine like policing a police officer is hard due to like some of like the pushback that you will get they don't call this whole thing like the good old boys club like for nothing you know Mm -hmm. but one of the things that I have really felt so good about seeing is seeing so many people like not go or entertain this narrative of like what about the good cops because it's like okay well if they are good like why aren't they out here with us or why aren't they like going to their supervisors like yo like what are we doing about this why aren't we kind of like doing something about it and I do understand again that there there are definitely contingencies in place that would maintain I mean silence is not a, a, a behavior but I mean taking my BCBA hat off like there are contingencies in place to like maintain silence and like complacency but I, I I think right now, like we're at a point where collectively so many people are like, this is really fucked up. Like, this is very scary. This is really, really messed up. And like, we've got to do something about it. And I just, I'm so, ha- I, totally I, I hate to live you. in a time where it took so long, but I'm so proud to live in a time where like we 
it seems like as a collective are like, yo, no, fuck that. Like, yeah, like we are going out there. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, a couple things. First of all, I think that when you take the whole political context in its entirety, it's undeniable. I mean, it, when you, you see the rise of fascism in front of you and, and like the, the descent into dictatorship, I mean, it's it's not a, it's not an exercise anymore. This is not an intellectual exercise. Like, I mean, when someone's threatening to bring to, to break Posse Comitatus, which is like a, a holy a holy covenant between us and our military. And like, even if it's not a serious thing, because he's not a serious person, like just the threat of it in and of itself violates a norm that's mm-hmm. so fucking egregious. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's like. It's it should tear it should shift shivers down your spine like that's how like it's a it's a fucking movie it's so crazy like yeah. out there, and then you see all the other things that compound with that. To the thing about the police officer standing by, you know, because I saw your post on goodness, and like I love evaluating those type of meta ethical things where you talk about the okay. nature of the good and that kind of thing. And I go back to the I think it made me think of Immanuel Kant, and it's like what is the universal axiom that we should live in? What is our categorical imperative, right? And part of the capitalist system that we live in and the way that it's structured is that it's commodified humans. And the way that the system is set up, it's commodified black people per- first. I mean, it's it's criminalized poverty. It's criminalized black spin. It's created education to prison pipeline, which is very real and substantive. Like those are, those are like undeniable facts about our existence, right? So that, and in turn, that feeds private prisons, military industrial complex, the whole bottom feeding shit show that is the reality that we live in right so what does that do that that creates that makes people means and not ends in and of themselves right so when you when you commodify human beings um, you can personalize them and not put them in a position we have to view them as people right you view them as just a thing Mm -hmm. and that's the that's a lot of i think what what feeds their ability to do that in time and in moment and you pair that i don't know if you guys look do you guys happen to see or look up any of that is warrior that training the cops go through that the, the, the warrior training they were quoting <clears throat> the shit is crazy like i i just looked it up because i heard of it i never heard of it and it, it, it terrified the living shit out of me i was like oh my god this is well like major contributing factor holy crap they're literally like teaching them how to escalate situations instead of actually engaging <laughs> like what yeah, like, I don't know your de-escalation strategy is get someone angry so you can justify why you had to physically intervene on them. Holy shit! Like mm-hmm. that's that's it's atrocious. Scary. Like, like you're a very, monster. Very scary. Yeah. So anyway, just those were my two thoughts that I was thinking that uh, to add that makes think it matters. Oh man, sorry. I think I went a little we went a little <laughs> wide on that one. And I feel like Dimitri, I'm gonna like email you after this. I want to learn more about this. That's interesting. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. The metaethics is fun because like. You start exploring the questions on like, what is the, forget what's good. Like what is goodness Mm -hmm. in and of itself? And how do we determine these things? Like who are the people that get to say this? What is it a collectivist thing? Is it a societal thing? Is there some innate objective object that we get to touch? Like there's a lot of interesting avenues you can draw from. And actually, I don't know, like it's, 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 it's just good. It's good deep discussion and it relates to our field and it relates to our ethical codes. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we yeah. live in a really prescriptive place too. Like people want to be told what's right instead of being able to determine in the yes. moment. Instead of like intuit naturally what rightness is, right? So it's like, where do you, how do you make those decisions? What does that look like? And that's where I think, like not the transition or segue, but I think that's where like the breadth to make mistakes matters so much. You know what I mean? That's where you have to let people the opportunity to think out loud and think wrongly at times. Or even like misspe- misspeak and misstep because like you may say something and mean one thing, but it sounds totally insensitive and assholeic for no reason. And like, okay, like you put your foot in your mouth, that shit happens. Like, and oh. like, 
not totally bury somebody forever. Like that's, that's not the world that we should be living in. So like, yeah, I, I, we should definitely talk and hang out. I would love to, philosophy is my favorite thing. Like, let's do it. (laughs) It's the best. I think you summarized the reason why we're all on this show right now. Exactly. I know you guys originally were like, Hey, like, you know, here's our platform and whatever you want to say. Um, so cut that part out and then put that as your headline. Um, because that summarizes the purpose of this particular episode. Um, I want to all just take a woosah because we definitely just, our, our audience is going to be like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was all like purposeful and like needed and yeah. all of that. But I, I want to segue into um, a, a different aspect of this conversation and start talking about uh, social media. Let's do it. Um, well, I'm, I'm so jacked to the moon. Are you about jacked? This. All right. Well, let me hear it first. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're just going to put it out there. You guys had an episode. Yep. He's sitting back, guys. <laughs> <laughs> His microphone. I, got I, I, wish I, I wish I had a cigarette right now. I'd just be like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you guys talked about privilege. So Absolutely. before we before we even deep dive into deletion culture and social media attacks and things like that. Yeah. I want, I want Ryan for you to go first, mm-hmm. then Danielle, then Dimitri, cause he's gonna, <laughs> he's, gonna <laughs> he's gonna keep going. Dimitri's like ready. <laughs> right. Has your mindset changed on your idea of what privilege is? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, for me, a term like that is like a byproduct of my history, my upbringing, and I think what's shifted most recently is it's it's more of a responsibility to try to track and and understand and make up for those, um, if that makes sense. So, for example, if I could if I could describe like the whole idea of creating video and chasing this idea of the daily BA was like, what is the opportunity that I have in front of me to share something about behavior analysis today? Um, but that's not like good enough to be able to really push a, a culture and a field forward about behavior analysis. Cause it's not selecting for things, um, in particular, which would be highlighting, um, just as many people that are in different situations as people that are in, you know, situation A, B, C over here. Right. So for example, like Purely, like, one of the things I realized quite early on was I can only say so much. If I started interviewing others, there's a lot more there, and it was a good move. But it's also, like, if I'm purely pulling those from a certain sample or a certain place, like, how good is it really doing? And so um, I would say yes. I hope it continues to. One thing I've shared on this podcast, too, is, like, finding myself reflecting back and being, like, you weren't growing during this period is something that I really am discomfortable, like, uncomfortable with. Um, I'm not happy with, I guess, about myself, if that makes sense. And so um, that's what I've been thinking about and how I feel is like, you can do better. Um, and and it's, it's now a, how do you live that out day to day? Does that make sense? Or is there follow-up questions? For no, absolutely. Like, I think um, what 
people are asking for is in that acknowledgement of of a mistake, you know. And I, I talked about it on my podcast. Um, I make mistakes, and I'm a BCBA of color. Like I identify as a minority, so I think just the acknowledgement of a mistake or of like you weren't growing during that time or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and that, yeah. First step, you know? Yeah. And that's not like it's a, it's about me, but like, that's, I guess like a value of mine is like, are you like really pursuing what the idea of this field was? Right. Which mm-hmm. is purely inclusive. It's about humans. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's where things like that juxtapose and they don't work. Um, yeah. So yeah. Nice. Danielle. <laughs> yeah, I actually don't know if I I don't remember if I was a part of the podcast when that was recorded, but listening to it and thinking back on my Yeah. You're def- you're, de- you're definitely not. But thinking yeah. just uh, just thinking about the experience in general, I'm not sure within beyond the last year or beyond that that I really understood what privilege was or what the definition of it was and I think sometimes coming from a behavior analyst standpoint like we want those operational definitions we want that objectivity and it's sometimes we're just not going to get it and sometimes our we just have to let language be shaped by our cultural contingencies and let that be okay and learning that I had more privilege than I recognized I had and what privilege really was and how subtle it could be was huge for me. Like that I could go until being 19 and not realizing really how prevalent racism was in my community was something I didn't realize was a privilege. And so I feel grateful now that I've kind of been able to open up to realizing that, but also very sad that I wasn't able to recognize it sooner don't recognize what you don't know mm-hmm. you know that that bubble it, yeah um, that bubble we were talking about yeah. earlier, you know there are things that i have recognized that i'm privileged in and i have to reflect on that once i get into a space of like realizing other people don't have this privilege well, I think um, that's that's part of my uh, shtick in the past that I'm still thinking about now is like I sometimes get a little bit defensive on like the 10 hours a day I spend in here six days a week for three years editing videos like that's that's the side where it's like there's a lot of work that goes into it. So for me, it's a it's a as much of a I didn't know what the hell. Right. And I need to learn. I need to figure out how to do this. But it's also um, lack of communication, lack of lack of like thought about the process. Right. Um, and learning how to um, speak in ways that kind of like acknowledge the full picture, I guess, rather than shorten it down. What about you, Dimitri? You know, I thought about this a lot. I I have mixed emotions on it, honestly, if I'm going to be totally straight with you. And Mm -hmm. it's not because I don't recognize systemic issues. I mean, that is a fact. I think we live in a system and work in a system that privileges whiteness over blackness. That's a fact. I mean, anyone who would deny that fact has been drinking or been hit on the head. Like, that's just Mm -hmm. real. Like, period. Um, And especially given the history of the country and the way that is, actually the history of the world, honestly. I mean, colonialism is that, right? It's the exploitation Mm -hmm. of people of different colored skins, et cetera. 
but then I put my analytic hat on and I start doing contingency analysis, right? And I start thinking about, okay, how do I conduct this level of analysis in such a way for me to understand and to put it through the lens that makes me feel comfortable and that like I want to declare this as my my position and not feel like it's just an emotional response, you know? <clears throat> and I think, okay, if I take a molar view and a molar perspective and I think about the, the macro contingencies and meta contingencies that feed into all this stuff and the interlocking contingencies and stuff, we derive the inevitable conclusion that privilege is inevitable. It's fait complete, like it's, it's baked into the cake. So yes. But then I look to apply the same logic on the individual ontogenic level. So I look at like human beings and operant conditioning scenarios in their own lifetimes. And then you say, okay, is that a privilege? Like, are they privileged necessarily inherently? And it's like, yes, they're privileged by the system. So then the conclusion that I draw and I come to is that you can, you, you can be privileged by the system, but not necessarily have lived a life of privilege. Um, and I think that, so like, that is a, that is where I reconcile the ideas and the concepts. And I think that's where it's the most fair position because one of the just general draws and what I was trying to make fun of in that episode, because I was just making fun of Ryan for just the two of us having a conversation and him just like being excited about doing something he's wanted to do for such a long time and having feeling the need to justify himself and preface himself, not because I put that pressure on him because he's afraid with some, some Joe Schmo, whoever person's going to talk shit on social media and just immediately say, the only reason you've achieved anything is because you're privileged. And I was kind of playing with him and being playful and ridiculous. And then I got, uh, then we got a phone message from somebody and I wanted to be an asshole cause I'm a smart, mm-hmm. like it's in, it's inherently who I, like I try, I mean, I, I'm 37 years old. Like that's baked in the cake for me at this point. Like I'm going to be a smart ass if I feel like someone's not being genuine. Like it's just mm-hmm. like, that's something that I don't really want to change cause it's kind of who I am. Um, but anyway, I don't want to ramble about this and I don't want to seem like I'm avoiding the question. So yes, of course I recognize privilege. That's ab- and I am privileged in that capacity because I do have the skin. Uh, I, my, my color of my skin is white, but I I have not necessarily live a life, lived a life of privilege. And I, 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 to be true to myself, I have to, I have to stand and say that because it matters but significantly. But I think you kind of just proved in like just the sheer point that like words mean things and how we word things mean things. So I know for me, again, like um, I, I am a triple minority, but I do have privilege. Part of my privilege is because I'm feminine presenting. I can pass it straight. I don't necessarily like, I'm so uncomfortable with that privilege, like incredibly uncomfortable with that privilege because in my mind, I'm like, well, I kind of sort of wish I was like a little bit more like androgynous or a little bit more quote unquote masculine because I hate having to like disclose this part about me. And in the lesbian community, I hate having to like prove that I'm actually gay. So anyway, so, but that, but nonetheless, like that is a privilege, like me being able to pass the privilege me being able-bodied it's a privilege like anytime I've had I've had countless surgeries just with my medical history and anytime I have these surgeries and I'm recovering from surgery I realize just how privileged I normally am the extra steps and the extra things that I have to think about in order to just gain access to my everyday life things it like helps me to really kind of put things in a perspective um but if I have to be honest I also have compared to other people you could say I've also lived a very privileged life I come from, you know, I was born in Detroit. I was raised in Metro Detroit. I, you know, went to a certain, I was in school, like in a certain school district. Um, And so to other people who may not have had like that history, they're like, yo, you're from a suburb. Little do they know though, when I was in the suburbs, there were certain things that I had to go through that again, reflected on 
my blackness and reflected on my sexuality yeah. or whatever. So mm-hmm. I like the fact that you kind of, that, that you're like, yeah, like you're right. Like I do have privilege, but I have not necessarily lived a privileged life. And I think sometimes, again, like we get so caught up in like semantics and we get so caught up in like, like, but I, I want you guys to know, like I struggle too. And it's like, we get that. Like, we're not saying that, you know? Um, but I like the fact that you're just like, actually, after reflection, like, let me, t- let me explain to you, like, why I think the way that I do. Um, I think that, I think that means something. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's yeah. not, it's not for me, I just to re- respond, like, it's not to detract from anything. Cause I really, honest to God, yeah. like, like, uh, and again, I don't want to get, I, I don't want to make this like, I, I don't know. I, f- I feel weird talking about my identity. I can't even like, I, I feel uncomfortable talking about my identity. Cause then I feel like it becomes like a, like I'm trying to somehow justify or compete with somebody like about what I feel, but I like. I was raised, I was raised in a multilingual household. Uh, you know, I had, there were very strict rules in my household. If you, your foot, my dad was so old school, like there was no English in our home, right? He, he got so fed up with American and what he called white people because he referred to his Americans as white people, right? Like, mm-hmm. so that's the, the environment I was, that he left the country and took us with him. <laughs> like he was like, mm-hmm. fuck this, we're out, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but then I, so I got to like, I was immersed in a totally different world. I lived on an Island. My elementary school was three rooms, you know, mm-hmm. for six grades. And if you were born on the wrong year, you started backwards. So my brother actually did the second grade first and that has kept mm-hmm. him functionally illiterate to this day. Okay. Cause of how busted ass oh. their system is. So, I mean, like my, my, one of my best friends, from elementary school dropped out in fifth grade to become a goat herder. You know what I mean? Like, so like there are things that, you know, uh, to express in the American experience and to compare those to people of color who experience such an unbelievable amount of systemic oppression that that is the number one prominent front and stage thing in American life. Yeah. And, and, and try to and compete is the wrong word, but like that, it feels like it puts it in that frame, you know, and then feeling like kind the of like pressure. Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. but I mean, like, this is not the struggle yeah, Olympics. Exactly. Like, no, this is fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like, and your, yeah. your, your, like, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. and I, as like a black woman, can recognize that, like, 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 I, like, you hearing you say that. First of all, I was like, why the fuck don't I know that about your culture? So, what does that tell me? I have more learning to do, right? But also, it's like, yes, like, I, I am in my own state of like oppression in various ways. But I can also empathize with you and like your oppression as well. Like, it, this isn't like a who's struggling the most yeah. here. It's literally like, listen, like, yes, we're all human. Like, yes, we all have our fair share of like experiences that have truly like been like heartbreaking and saddening, and our families have as well. I think it literally, for me at least, is like acknowledging what it is like in the moment. Like when exactly. I go to Pride and I think about Stonewall, I, I I I am thinking about Stonewall in the sense of like, yes, like I'm a black lesbian and like Stonewall, literally like we have pride now because of like black, queer and trans people. But, but I'm not like walking around pride. Like what about black lives? Like right now it's about pride. And yes, I have a black life and I am in pride, but you know what I mean? Like we don't need to make everything about us all the time. Yeah. And, and I I do think I, I can see though, like where your hesitation is like, I literally see you like trying to like pick the right words because you don't want to say the wrong thing. And it's like, well, no, like, your experience was exactly what it was and i as a human should be able to validate that without it feeling like it's taken away from like my experience and you know and and my blackness and like all of that you know this is and i don't know i also that's so that is like one of those things that i don't like placate to struggle olympics like, I just, I yeah don't, and, like, and, and just so well, you know i really appreciate a- your generosity spirit there that was that was a very nice like 
I really appreciate that. You're a beautiful us, human, so. Camille. Yeah, big time. <laughs> well, thank I really you. do appreciate thank you so that. Much. Thank you. I mean, because life, is, I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, some of the things that when you we really just think about like oppression, like it's it's really scary, like how 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 many people have really been affected and like plagued by this. So I just, Adrian, I appreciate you bringing up that question because it's like, I mean, literally anybody who probably has either heard that we were going to be on this show, I think that like their question is, well, are you guys going to ask about that episode? <laughs> and it's like, I mean, sure. Like, and it's like, why should we be afraid to? It's like, we're just like, like she said, like we're just talking. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's, and I think just in general, like when you do a podcast, like I, and again, you guys were, I, I mean, I, so far you're the same people that I heard on your podcast, but early on when we were doing it, we were trying to work out what kind of format and how we wanted to do. What does the persona look like? What's the kind of thing that you're trying to do? What, what's the, what's the format? What, you know, so it's a lot of bravado and bullshitting and like, you know, it's Joe Rogan meets South Park or whatever the fuck type <laughs> of edgy thing. You, you know what I mean? Like, but I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, you know, so when you're, when you're trying out those kind of things, like, do I want to do a comedy bit or like, do I want to just talk shit and just let it be edgy yeah. and just like live out there? You know what I mean? And like, we took a massive break. We took like almost a six month break at some point, And we were like, cause we both got mega burned out and it just was NQR. Not quite right. Yeah. You know, yep. both of those episodes were under that. Um, and this is where, uh, like we shared this, but it wasn't, it doesn't reach everybody all the time. This is one of those downfalls of social media is sometimes you share things like, oh, this isn't quite right. Now that wasn't to justify like what was done. Yeah, this is not to means, justify but like, excuses. But it's it like, um, but yeah, it was just uh, the, the not quite right is something that specifically in podcasting, like I don't like know how to sometimes learn lessons without uploading, which is really fucking scary to say out loud. Um, mm. And this was one of those where in hindsight, it was like, uh, not quite right. Right. <laughs> um, and I'm like far from, um, but I guess like there's, there's been a number of episodes, um, that have kind of had similar reflections of that weren't on the same topic or discussion, but in same ways have, uh, um, impacted people that I care about in some sort of way. So, um, I hope to make them less and less and less. And, and, the. I think as we've gotten more having, comfortable with it and we worked out our dynamic too, I think that was a big thing. You and I were working our dyma- dynamic, we're getting to know each other and getting comfortable speaking on the microphone and like just going for it and not, yeah. and like, but and going forward in a way that speaks boundaries. to like big, big, big topics and, and like that kind of thing. Sorry. Learning where those boundaries are, when to prep, when to shut up. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And I don't know, like it takes, it takes this reciprocity, like this reciprocal relation of like working with others exactly like y'all are doing right now that that really helps shape those learning experiences so um i have to also thank you for that as well big time yeah yeah no thank thank you guys i mean i think um we live in a in a society where in order to learn you have to upload and you learn from like those criticisms right um and learning of like people telling you that you offended them and people telling you like, you know, just other information on the Mm -hmm. topics. And you're not saying when you do a podcast, you kind of are welcoming that feedback and that criticism. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like a way that you are, are teaching yourself and educating yourself in a way like you put what you put out there. Right. But what you guys get mostly 
most from it, at least for me and in, in my podcast is how people resonated with it. And then adding in different bits and points and things that, you know, you didn't even think about. Um, and I think it's, it's brave to put ourselves out there. And then on top of that, you guys have a way bigger platform. Than regular, oh, man. I think you overestimate our reach. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I guess the, the point that I also uh, think of there is like the responsibility that comes with that gets more and more serious. Um, depending on like the topic, yeah, the facts. time, the stature of who you're with or who you're working with. Like there's a lot of things yeah. there. And uh, um, it sucks to learn hard ways, but um, it is one question? form of learning. And then it turns into how do you systemically prevent those, I think yeah. is the other side of it. Can I ask you guys a question? Of course. Um, so you guys, course. you know, put out your Open book. We're, we're talking about it on the show. Can you point out what, what have what have you guys learned now that you kind of have self-reflected back on, you know, those statements? What are some specifics that you guys have learned in the last week or so, however long it's been? I mean, I think being flippant about certain things is definitely not going to work ever again. Like being super dismissive is not helpful. Um, and that is an inherent thing that I do a lot. So that's definitely something I need to work on, especially in the podcast format. Um, if the goal, and honestly, yeah, just being being careful about what you mean, like mean what you say. Don't just say shit. I mean, that's the big thing. You know what I mean? Like, because in the whole pr context of the statement, I would have net like uh, it was not intent. Like it really in my head and never even crossed my mind in that moment that this was like going to that this could potentially be related to such a real visceral thing that was happening i was in my mind just some douchebag talking shit on the internet where like six people were going to hear it and no one gives a shit like so and it's it's interesting to see how influence can grow and affect and then how you need to like think about your responsibility towards that and making sure that people mm -hmm. are properly educated and also people are properly educated on what you believe and who you are because you influence them so mm -hmm. i think that that i mean that's definitely been a learning curve that's been happening significantly for me personally at least um i don't know about you guys i don't know that yeah, no it's it's similar in the sense of like that's that's not reflective of who i want to be or who i want to be known as right and like what i want to be sharing and purporting out there so um it's uh it was not because of i'm trying to think back um i believe it was because of the first time we uploaded that we had one generous soul I will not name. Um, I'll share with you all afterwards, though. Um, that, you know, was uh, really nice and given a phone call and said, hey, let's chat about this. Um, and it led to also, like I was saying earlier, like that reflection of I've got to program these things in a little bit more um, on getting other perspectives. I remember that was something that you all talked about on the, the Shades of ABA episode of this understanding versus empathizing. And if I can't understand, then I need to at least start to um, plan sometimes to be empathizing with things. And so I think that for me is one of the, the biggest takeaways that's, that this kind of culminated and galvanized, right. Of those things need to be, um, constantly on the forefront of like, for example, every month when I plan out what I'm going to do, what I'm working on, things like that, like, how are you making sure that you're, you're setting up contingencies to where, um, you don't make that mistake again because you're proactively learning about those perspectives. Um, and that's, I mean, it uh, also just makes you look like a person that you're not like, 
just from the just from the posting alone like in, in the and like i'm gonna say this because i don't like the particular people involved like I, i'm i'm familiar with them like in in person so like i know that like i part of me kind of was was never resistant actually to doing the doing the thing doing doing the statement or anything like that or taking it down i was never resistant to that idea because i was already sensitive to the fact that we were living in a reality that needed to have that intervention like that was yeah. a necessary move what i was resistant on is is engaging and responding to it because i felt like the I felt like they were nefarious intentions. Like that was not a pu- that was not an action, an attempt to create a just scenario. That was an action specifically to incite an internet mob to talk shit mm-hmm. and to create a whole mm-hmm. thing to shit stain and engage in character assassination. Like I, I, I believe that there was a personal thing going on there. Like I, I know for a fact there was personally. So like, but that doesn't mean that in and of itself it wasn't a good opportunity to really clarify and put it out there and represent who you are for real. Because like, mm-hmm. I looking back and listening to it. I would think that that is my cra- that's my that's my uncle wearing a maga hat talking shit and that that's not who like that's not who I am <laughs> like even remotely like mm-hmm. couldn't be farther than who I am. So like if I'm going to make statements, I need to make sure that the, when the statements are heard, people can interpret them in such a way that they actually represent what I think and what I believe and that's 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 a, a value that I th- I thought that I was living by and I wasn't because that, it's an in, that was an inauthentic move. So yeah. that that's the thing that I think really sticks out across this process and actually was was a big reason why we tried to self-correct early on. This was just a thing that got buried in the in, in the in the past and no one ever really thought about because um, it was just like, you know, ancient history at that time, even though obviously it's not. Yeah. yeah. So I think, Ryan, you said someone called you after you posted that episode right mm-hmm. so you re- you guys recently deleted it um and i'm, I'm asking this for audience sake of mm-hmm. well why didn't you delete it then and why delete it now if we're in a culture of like acknowledging mistakes acknowledging that but then also like i get what dimitri is saying of like attacks to someone's character is deep you know yeah. and those personal attacks. So I guess I, and I, I would like to know if you were, if you knew that this was something that was not quite right, then why not delete it then? And why delete it? Well, so yeah. So getting that, um, phone call was, I don't know, probably I I would, I could go back and track this exactly and find it, but it was, I believe a couple weeks after we had uploaded. So it's one of those things where, um, the, the podcast typically, those are things that I think of at least and, and poke holes in it, but um, the podcast typically is you you upload in the first week, there's most of your mm-hmm. listens, everything kind of dies out there. So when I got that phone call, it's like, well, we, we messed up um, from this perspective. There was other feedback that came in that was, that was uh, either neutral or like good episode, right? Um, and so for me, it's, it's uh, watching other creators I think I've learned more in the last year or two through a number of different people that I watch on like, it's, it's the, it's the comments. How do they say it? So one gentleman um, says like, it's a, it's the comments that, that might be right. Right. Those hard comments that you read that might be like some sort of uh, coming from a right, like a really different perspective, but a right place Mm -hmm. that you need to pay attention to. And so it wasn't that, um, and I also came off the phone call feeling like it was a different perspective and it wasn't that that we that we shared different perspectives and we understood each other's perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and there there wasn't like a request to take it down or anything like that. So naive of me, maybe not to think about that more. And it makes more sense now. Um, at some point when I was uploading another episode and organizing some things just on the back end of Anchor, I was just like, this one wasn't great. Um, and and turned one of them off probably six weeks ago, um, eight weeks ago. And it was the, the response to the original one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when when we were catching some flack in there, it's just like, this is clearly not, um, there's the character sides and things like that, but there's also like, this is not a productive in any sort of way. Um, and so for me, it's, it's, uh, retracting the, the simplest, quickest solution to no longer purporting things that are not helpful for the larger community, like podcasting changes from an individual level to a cultural level of influence. And so, um, that's also part of the reason that I uploaded something on DWBA about just like empathizing with like what the fuck is going on as yeah. a result of this George Floyd situation is, uh, um, I don't know, like it's hard to figure out what to do and like where the actual source of control is for me. Um, but it's at the time when I was sitting in front of that one episode, clicked undone. And then like the same thing with the video, it's just like, this is, this, this has got to be done. Um, and so, that's where like things with a guest I are, are like y'all, it's a lot easier to get some sort of feedback and certainty as to like whether or not something should go out because we have, we do the review process of listen to it back and make sure you're comfortable with it. Um, realizing that there's a risk of not like when it's just the two of us and we are sorting it out and figuring out what we want to do. We have that risk that maybe wasn't noticed there and I might need to build out a different process there. So like part of the reason of having Danielle, um, start doing show notes as people requesting that. And there's a lot of resources we're recommending, but it's also like having another set of ears listen to this before it goes out is beneficial. Um, so those I are, think, I guess, some some things that I think of. Yeah. What do you What do you have? I think like it. It's like when you were just talking. Um, and this is just me being open and real. Like, do it. like I'm emotional. Like I almost want to cry because you are a good person, Dimitri, you are a good person. And I've even, I, we're just in this like, like attacky culture. And there are things that are not quite right, right? And we make mistakes. And I'm not saying like dismiss the mistakes, you know, like I answered the question, we put it out there, right? You acknowledged it. But also I think people need to give other people need to give people an opportunity to grow from their mistakes and to allow that was, I don't know what episode number you're on now. (laughs) And in between that time, there's, there's growth that has happened. Um, And I wish as a society, we would be more accepting to a growth mindset than a you did this and you're canceled mindset um and that's that's what what i feel like you know you were you you were like worried about you know of like how you're getting portrayed you realize you have a a larger influence on the culture um but also recognizing that we shouldn't make people feel bad for making mistakes. 
Well, yeah, I think I, too, the thing that grows. I would I say that the feeling it, bad. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think too, what, what at least I hear, and I just want to preface by saying I didn't hear the episode. And when I saw, um, you know, some of the posts and stuff like that, honestly, I just wasn't, I don't want to say that I wasn't interested, but I, I didn't want, I didn't want to hear it and I didn't want it to like to have any kind of influence on like the presence that like I was going to bring to this because mm-hmm. honestly like literally Ryan like only thing I know about you is when I was you know on your show before when we were you know for the ABA practitioners impacted by the military like that was yeah. it um but I know for me like one of the things that kind of to your point Adrian that I do struggle with is this whole cancel culture, it's something I'm so deeply conflicted by and not just with like social media or anything. Like I literally, um, you know, have, you know, a particular family member that has done horrific things. And because I have knowledge of that, they are nothing to me. Like literally, like I just, it, it, it doesn't faze me at all. But honestly, aside from that, I'm just such a deeply sensitive person. I, I'm very rarely like that. Um, and, and, one of the things that I think what one of the, um, I guess, like discriminating factors for me in between like just canceling somebody versus allowing them to grow and to kind of learn from it and express their growth and me also like receive it is number one, if whatever this incident is, it's like we've talked about it before, it's like before what before whatever this like act, yep. not act, and I just mean like behavior, like whatever like mm-hmm. the behavior is, like we've talked about it before. Um, and there was like literally like no regard. And then I'm like, okay, well, I don't, I feel like in this point, it's almost like intentional or maybe not necessarily intentional, but it was just thoughtless. And for me, it's like, we don't, it, it's so hurtful to not be thoughtful, you know, when it comes to certain yeah. things. But I also think besides that, I think you guys looking back on it, I wonder if you kind of did. So it's almost, I saw everything on internet and it was just almost funny. Cause it was like, you, you guys literally like put, all these people like on extinction, some of my friends <laughs> on extinction. And it was almost like everybody was having like this extinction burst. So it was like, no, like in real life though, like I want to know like why this decision was made. And I also have, um, you know, engaged in some um, arguing part, part behavior the, this last that. week. And that person didn't put me on extinction. And I have to be honest, what they ended up coming out with was even worse. Like what their can, I, can I just say one thing? I, I'd like to. Yeah. I'd like to. And 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 why we would engage in extinction and not engage on that? Honestly, yeah. because like it's not a fair forum. It's not a fair fight. There's good, you're inviting a pylon effect, and you're inviting you're inviting extra missteps in the attempt to justify yourself. Because honestly, yeah. when someone's saying that, they're saying you're a piece of shit. Prove to me you're not a piece of shit. Well, how do you prove a negative? Like that's a, it's a, it's a scientific fact that you can't prove a negative. Important. So then all you do is start coming up with excuses and you start putting out all this other stuff and like it creates the conditions that just create more suspicion, more like questioning of someone's motives. Yeah. You know, and like in it like it, it it spotlights the whole thing in a way where or we can sit down across from another human being and have a conversation about it and people can hear our tone of voice, our body language, our movements how we're actually reacting to the question, the level of insecurity we're bringing to it, how defensive are you? Like, like actual context that matters as behavior people, you know, Yeah. rather than just like like throwing fucking memes at somebody on the internet. But do you think if like any of the people that asked you guys about this, if they were to have been like the ones like emailing you guys, like, Hey, like I really want to come 
like either I either want to have a conversation or I want to come on your platform and like I want to talk about this. Would you guys absolutely a hundred a hundred and ten percent? And not only that, I actually invited one of those people. I actually invited them personally previously before all this stuff even happened. Actually, to be honest with you, and I actually invited one of those people onto our podcast before all this stuff happened. And they re- and, and and with all due respect, and I respect their decision. They rebuffed us because we're horrible people. So like, that's their choice. That's their decision. Like, I, I, well, there gets to a point where gonna, like self protection matters. Like, I, I don't know. Well, that's what like, I was going to get at. It's like, like part of that extinction thing is also a little bit more context of. I'll try to share a little bit, but not too much. Is um, um, there's a couple people that engage in the post, um, whether liking, sharing. Uh, and things like that, that support the work that I do online. And um, there's this social contract at the part of stepping up that I realize that I need to have the most responsibility in, which is also like, sometimes we're going to disagree. And like, I have open, like feedback is open and I, and that's what's going to make me better. And so um, that seems to me like uh, a couple of them, even like we have personal phone numbers, we've collaborated and worked together a number of times. So it's like, you know, a phone call, when you first listened to this, if you really did listen to it eight months ago, it would have been really nice. Or like when I've interacted with you, it would have been really nice to hear this. Um, but also like there's a learning history there. There's a reason not and, and whatnot. Um, and that's part of the lesson I'm learning here and uh, still take responsibility for that. Um, but the other side is like, I've specifically tried to collaborate with one of the people on there um, that was part of it. And it was clearly when I woke up with three or four different posts in different locations across Facebook that were not their own groups and things like that. It's like, clearly this is a coordinated thing. Um, and I've actually invited them prior to share things. They said no. So for me, it was kind of like, you know, I, I made a reach out. Maybe it wasn't clear enough or whatnot to collaborate, or maybe it was a deliberate decision. I'm um, just kind of no, socially kind of sidestepped that I didn't notice in the moment of like, no thanks, I'm good. I don't want to associate with that. Um, but for me, it's kind of been like, when you watch it, you're just like, whoa, like I, you know, tried collaborating X long ago. And we, some of them even like, I'm like a partial adjunct coworker with, it's like, you know, I kind of feel like we're closer in some ways than this. So it's, uh, for me there, this, the, the thing that makes most sense is, um, like how Dimitri was talking about, like how hard to like come back with things. Um, and like, what do I say? Like, and will my words help that situation? That was one of the things that my mom, um, kind of taught me really early is like, uh, I know, and I don't do this in the forefront all the time, clearly with the episode of like what I should have done. But like, when you realize, like, when do you shut up and when do you start mm-hmm. to speak up? And for me, I felt like um, it just is in line of the statement was the statement of like, this isn't beneficial. There's in a way a lot more that we all share similarities. And I think like, I would love to help keep, keep contributing to those things, acknowledging that mistake and moving forward. How do I move forward? Um and so that was part of it. The other part was there was a, a few other backhand emails, comments, and things that were just like making that thread even more unclear. And when you don't know what, what's what like wh- what's coming from whom, and like you don't have clear signals and data, for me it's like then I don't know how to behave in that sort of situation, right? So there was there was uh, I guess also part of that extinction or silence is um, like it was unclear what else to say. So. Um, because of the different feedback loops that were coming in. And I think the safest place there is the one that's not going to perpetuate it further, right? Um, It's my logic today. uh, (laughs) And I hope it, it it makes sense. It's welcome, welcome to feedback, but like, um, 
Yeah, like I, I respect I respect the two of you so much because you you were willing to sit down and have a conversation with us about mm-hmm. it, bring it up, and hear and like just to talk about it and not be like not engage in moral superiority behavior, which is just like, I mean, that's that to me is just so that turns me off in a way where like I'm gonna I'm gonna get oppositional and just say okay then obviously you don't want to engage so then like what you you think that i should somehow like beg you to talk to me like get, no and like yeah. you were you were the most op- you were so open and and i just i just really appreciated it like sin- sincerely like sincerely thank you thank you thank you yeah i think that um I wish we weren't in such a canceled culture or a tacky culture on this point. And I, and I say that again, um, cause I think it really, it can hurt good, genuine people. And like, like we said, like, Demetri, you brought it up. Like we're seeing your, your body language, you know, like Ryan speaking, like literally this close to crying, you know, like I, I hear that and I feel that. Um, and I think that, I'm glad we did this because I want other people to feel that and to hear that and try to reframe their perspective on there's been growth over time, period. So like, don't hold them to that mistake. Now, with that being said, there are some mistakes in which that are just not forgivable. and for example, like Starbucks, this is not your second time <laughs> playing around with the black culture. And I love my iced caramel macchiatos, <laughs> which is like such a privileged thing to say. Right? <laughs> and, or, the, or Roger you know, Goodell. Yeah. So like, anyway. how do we decide, like, this is an unforgivable, like, I'm sorry, different lies, unforgivable for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, you should read Contingency Man. You'll definitely write him off. <laughs> don't, don't read it. Don't read it. <laughs> don't read That's it. another one of those. I'm just, like, just, I'm just kidding. Read it. Don't yeah. actually read it. I'm just You saying. know, but then like the, the, you guys are not in that, in that Dick Malak category for me. Appreciate <laughs> that. I would hope so, but uh, yeah. also. Yeah. Thanks. It's like, I don't know how to feel like it was like. The fact that it was an almost shot feels really weird. Like, whoa, really? That's how that went? Okay. How do we decide what is unforgivable and yeah. what is forgivable and growth and education and perspective yeah. is all that was needed there. For sure. Um, and uh, how do we decide that? So it, I don't mean to make that a yeah. shot. See, we said at the and top of the of- episode that one of us was going to fuck up. <laughs> no, I don't I don't take I don't take what you just said as a shot. I, yeah, I, I think that it's like listen, and, and I think that's going back to what we're talking about goodness and badness and like, you know, how do you know the nature of the good? How do you know the nature of the bad? How do you know the magnitude of someone's intention? How do you know whether or not they're irredeemable, right? Because I mean, like those are those are the types of questions that we are asking when we're talking about something like cancel culture. I mean, like you were mentioning before, like you have a family member. Like I've spoken to my father three times in 25 years like i wrote his ass off like so i mean i get i i understand irredeemable people like personally okay um and like part of it you know when i think about it is that ultimately i think what it boils down to too is like for you as a person whether or not you believe that you're irredeemable and whether you'll accept that too 
I, I think that plays a big key because I mean, again, not to abdicate anything that we just talked about, but like I, I felt very. Uh, I think the hardest part for me was that someone would have the wrong perception of who I am rather than what we've been trying to accomplish and the words that we've been saying and the, the meetups and the support groups we've been trying to do and like all the other stuff and the, that and feeding into that perception. I never once questioned whether or not I was irredeemable. That's actually who I was, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't know if a lot of people have the strength of mind and the strength of self to be able to withstand that because it like that was intense. I was really surprised by like how ruthless it felt. And now that I know about it, and honestly, the a thing that I'm really taking away from this is like, I'm going to be a lot more sensitive about calling other people out for their shit, honestly, because that is something that I do a lot too. Like, we're, but I, I call them on like, like bullshit arguments. I don't necessarily try to eliminate or, or eliminate their ability to work. But I mean, like, um, I definitely think that giving people the benefit of the doubt a lot more when you're talking to them and assuming good intentions up front might be naive and bite you in the ass one out of a hundred, but I think 99 times it'll end up being a lot more positive. Cause I think initially going back to the emails that you were talking about too, is that like, uh, you know, it started out beforehand, but you know, we weren't, we weren't sure how this conversation was going to go. You know, yeah. everybody was taking a risk here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I also didn't want it to go completely unaddressed because like, and I, because it's, the record it's not i wanted to set the well, like we need to set the record straight like this is an unacceptable outcome like we cannot let this persist so well, I, I, I it's just good I, honestly like you're, again like your perspectives really help frame this because like you get the you get the illusion that everyone's feeling you know a certain kind of way and then it becomes this like groupthink mindset yeah. and you're like is this even like a barrier you can even break through so then like if you can't even change it fuck it like why would you even want to go in and engage it at that point so that's also kind of the fear on the other end of the screen when you're looking at it too um so yeah there's I don't know what the answer is, man. I don't. I don't know what the answer is. Who 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 can define also, what the goodness of a thing is, right? <laughs> I know for me, like I, I. I mean, honestly, anybody that knows me can attest. I am so deeply sensitive. Like, I mean, just about anything can hurt my feelings. Like, honest to God, like I'm. I'm truly working on that in therapy. <laughs> thank God. But um, I think for me, one of the things that um, that kind of sort of kind of determines like if somebody's like for real canceled or what is again like how egregious whatever the thing is which of course is subjective but also mm -hmm. again like how they are actually responding to feedback about it um and even which i don't really want to talk about but even like with the internet like with me and everything like online i literally was in this person's inbox extending myself like, please, like, let's meet up. Let's talk about it. Like, let's, and there was no, I'll say, from my frame of reference, I'll just say that that was not reinforced. I'll just, and I'll leave it at that. And it's like, oh, wow. But you can yeah. literally ask my fiance, I was literally feeling bad for, for, for nothing. And I don't even want to get on that. Time. Like, I was literally, like, <laughs> almost like in tears because I knew how. I knew because I know how society works. I knew how I was going to look in this and I felt so bad. And I'm literally in this person. I'm like, please, like, let's meet up. I, I have these resources. I have this, that, and the other. And there was, again, none of that touched any reinforcement. And like she knows you though. Yeah, and, I, I don't. and I'm not even going to bring it up, but I'm just going to, and, 
And so for me, it's like, so in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, that's like a little bit that if, 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 and I'm not saying I do, if I decided like that person's canceled, in my mind, I'm like, okay, like that's justifiable to me. I don't think everybody else, you know, maybe should do that, but to me. Um, but I think that's because I also know myself, like, I mean, literally I'm the person that I would like literally cuss you out and two seconds later, I'll feel like conviction about it. And I'll be like, yo, I fucked it. I really shouldn't have cussed you <laughs> out like you really, or whatever. Like, and, and not to say that that's how I felt in that instance, but it's just, I said that to say, I, I cannot express to you guys how sensitive I am. Like, and I really take into account my sensitivity, like when I, when I'm addressing certain people um really all people especially online and i do think you're right though adrian like there does have to be some kind of like discrimination between like cancel culture and redemption and 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 demetria like you said i think we're all i think at the core of us we're all i would i hope at least like worthy of redemption um but i also think it's about the work that we put in in order to be redeemed like the person in my family literally died not feeling sorry for the horrible things that they had done for most of their life. Like they didn't feel anything. So it's like, no, like you're canceled, like whatever. And to be honest, me canceling them did not affect them one bit. So it's not like, I think I have this self importance of like, that I'm like making this like this last thing. (laughs) Like they don't give a fuck and that's fine. Um, So I don't know that that it is. I, I, that's a, that's a good question about like, how do you discriminate between that? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, think, I feel like this is, I, I think this is the questions that we're answering too and why it's so messy. I think yeah. that part of that, yeah. I mean, like that's, that's the like reestablishing norms. I mean, yeah. re yeah. behavioral variability. I mean, that's, I mean, that is the behavioral thing that we're contacting here. And like, so it, on the one sense, it's like it, we should, it, it's normal. Like this is how it goes. It's messy until it settles. Democracies are peaceful. Democratizing countries are bloody. You know, that's mm-hmm. so like that's, that's what we're in the middle of. So, I mean, it's going to be like that and there's going to be, you know, uh, whatever. And not, not that we're victims, but I mean, there's going to be uh, unintended, you know, people who get hit in the fire or whatever. And, and that's why you have to be able to talk to people and you have to be able to communicate openly and honestly, and you have to be not defensive and all that other stuff. So that's, uh, the, yeah, this was, this was really, honestly, I really, this, I, f- I feel like I got some closure. Like, I didn't think I needed this. I didn't realize how much I needed the closure that I got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, thanks. Like you guys, I this was super helpful. I literally did. Um, so we had recorded that ABA Inside Track podcast the day it was like a Monday night after all the stuff was happening on Facebook over the weekend, that first initial weekend. And I got on there and afterwards I was like, you guys, this was healing. This assisted in helping me heal. And I think we take for granted, um, not to get all mentalistic and I know, like, (laughs) Take off your BCBA. Talk about feelings. Talk about (laughs) feelings. Let's just talk about feelings (laughs) for a second because they're they're real. Um, I think that we lose sight of how conversations heal people, right? We go to therapy because we we unpack that. We get some advice. We, okay, let me see how that works on the day-to-day. We're getting homework. We got solutions. And then we unpack those solutions. I think we forget how much just an open and honest conversation can help us heal from however and for whatever reason we have felt this way. Um, Because I can definitely say, like, this conversation is helping me to heal from my emotional distress over the last couple of weeks. Um, So I can, I I hope that, like, it has touched every single one of you. 
um, in the same way. And to remember, this is why we start podcasts. This is why we open up this platform, not necessarily a heal and talk about feelings, but (laughs) to gain different perspectives. And we never know how our words are going to affect someone else. So I challenge our listeners, I challenge the organizations, the agencies is to, you know, if you are listening to this, like just resonate and understand the emotional like connection and like solution that this conversation has even brought up. I mean, we're going to talk about other solutions too, but um, <laughs> like, it's okay to have these conversations with l- people who are either like-minded of you or not like-minded of you, or just don't know if they are or not, right? Mm-hmm. Or where to start and what to say and all of that. Um, it starts with a conversation, period. Like, yeah. Marvelous. Marvelous. I agree with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think one of the, the last things that I wanted to touch on, I know, you know, I don't know how we are in timing, Ryan. I know you got to get up. Yeah, keep going. It's all right. Yeah, let's roll. Okay. Yeah. Um, we originally wanted to do a three-hour podcast and we just couldn't, we didn't have the oh, endurance great. for it. So this is like, not with you, just in general, like we wanted our regular format to be like three hours and it's like, we don't have the fucking endurance. We don't have enough time for that. <laughs> but this is like rich discussion. We're, this is awesome. Like, yeah. So one of the things I want to talk about um, is how can we improve as a field and i have my own thoughts oh, about, of where we can start um one of the things we we talk about representation and we talk about lack thereof right um my teachers my the the podcasts that i listen to the speakers that are doing these ceu sessions the speakers at these conferences the attendees at these conferences are not diverse, right? So y'all have guests on your show, right? And you guys talk about various things. Um, I challenge you guys to open up your box of contacts and to see if there's just anyone else that deserves recognition. And I challenge you to not only have people of color on the show to talk about diversity and inclusion, right? I am huge on like, I love to talk about attending skills. I love to talk about like these kids that can't imitate, can't speak, can't anything. And like just building up those foundational skills. That's my ABA niche. And then I love problem behavior, right? So I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) problem behavior is like my jam. (laughs) So I mean, like we could do a problem behavior episode anytime you want. That's what I, that is literally my jam. We can do and that. I was going to piggyback that off that fun. saying that most of the guests end up here because they write us an email saying, hey, I think I have something to contribute. So if you think you have something to contribute, write that email. Uh, oh, that we we literally know. solicit like that's no one. That's <laughs> really good to know, though. Like, I we solicit was so no one. emailing you. I was like, he's going to think I'm like this freak. He probably doesn't even like remember Not even me, a little especially bit. Especially because like half of my, like, my camera was like broken during that other episode I was on. And I was like, eh, let's just do it. Let's see what he needs. Yeah, no. So glad um, you did. We got or, extinguished early on. We tried to get guests early on and got so extinguished because no really? one would talk to us. We were like, fuck this. You don't we'll get the honest conversations is the problem. Like you don't, yeah. you get those stuck up yeah. academic or whatever influence yeah. conversations. And so, that was the issue. So the other, one other thing though, that you remind me of there was, uh, um, I guess for listeners out there, like the, something like this is uh, overtime on a week. It's, it's hour 50, hour 60 for y'all might be hour 300 this week. Right? Like, like mm-hmm. it's uh it's it's one of those things where there's only so, labor of love. so much time and yeah. how so fast that we can go 
clearly there's certain things we need to move faster on than others, but uh, there's there's a lot of work that goes in these sort of podcasts, right? To be able to get them out there and keep them uploaded and keep them going. So it's like, way I want to build capacity, be able to put more out there and do more. Right now, it's just been solely off of, you know, as much time as we have with people going through PhDs and things like that, and then requests coming in. So um, please, please, if like, if you all have an idea, um, anyone out there listening, like that 100% helps. Yeah. Um, I should do my car sales pitch at the end then until I guess, because li- literally what it is, <laughs> I mean, we're, uh, all of our business works yeah. on referrals. Um, yeah. So please, if you know anybody who might be interested and want to talk about a particular topic, please. Yeah. <laughs> like that's and if, and if we we're looking to make a client, not a customer. I love that. So, <laughs> I guess part of that, part of that is, part of that is if we have a, if we have a hundred of these come from this conversation, I might post that because it's like, Hey, we now have two years of episodes stacked up. Like, 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 like there's, there's limitations, I guess, sometimes to yeah, those that are yeah, hard to see yeah. if you're not behind the scenes making them. So, but I think from assistance perspective, I want to point out, I want to, I want to answer your question more directly though, from a systems perspective, because I I think, I think a lot of it, I think part of it has to do with decisions that people make on an individual level for how they provide their time and who they dedicate it to and the things that matter in that way and mentorship and that kind of thing. Um, One of the things that pressed upon me in our first interaction, you know, and, and that's why immediately my ears kind of popped up is, you know, talking about how people who struggle to pass the test or people who str- because of whatever situation circumstances they're experiencing. And like what that tells me is that there's a limited amount of mentorship in that community if it's disproportionately affecting them in that way, right? So then like that's, a, I think from a systemic perspective, that could be a way that you should extend who you are, what you're doing with, who you're working with, how you're going about things. So you can start bringing people up into the wings like they do in every other industry. I mean, like that's, that's a very important piece that I think everybody has an obligation to. That's a thing that I try to be very good about, but, and, and I, I think that it's a thing that is very, it's just very neglected from a, from a, from the notion of feeling obligated to do it. Cause I, I do think it's an obligation. Yeah. So, I, 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 the, I, to answer a little bit more directly to the systems perspective, um, Part of my disdain, most of my disdain for the field is like the systems that have been set up to date. Um, and like I said, like it, there's so many things that need a rehaul. Like when you all were talking on your um, episode about the lack of diversity, inclusion, sort of training as part of the BAC, like, yes, like it's like, and, and how is it? Yeah. Like there's, um, it's 2020. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And like the the very field of alleviating human suffering and like w- like treating people like humans and working with them like how do you commit that mistake and if you do whatever like like we we like how do we continue to let that not be a priority um, when it's like really at the end of the day in the heart and soul of behaviorists right is to is to be inclusive and, and representative of like a person's circumstances and what's going on to them I feel like it's this really uh, if I could point to one thing, I feel like it's this lack of um, like we're really good at individual behavior and teaching, I think, relatively well at looking at individual behavior. But cultural stuff is just freaking hard. There's a lack of training resources. There's some stuff out there on meta contingencies and systems analysis. And I do not want to uh, discredit the work that's out there. There's some amazing stuff. But it's like we haven't figured out how to kind of systemize and teach paying attention to all these cultural variables. And actually, I'm going to push back on that because I think that the work isn't great. I think the work has been repetitive. Like if I look at, yeah, I think if you look at the cultural there's a, there's, research there's enough there to out use there, though and get started. It is, an, it is out, and it's also very systems oriented though. It's task analysis on how to talk. Like it, it lacks enough description 
and context built into it that would facilitate a robust and enriched experience for people and for how sure. they would conceptualize it as a, as an intervention or like as a way to go about things right so like there's some if i think about like if i pick up an ables like and i look up communication in fct like do i really understand the, the dynamics that go into that and like no but if yeah. i pick up something like an efl that has a whole narrative that describes kind of like the interaction in detail and what should it look like and then it, on the side of it it also has the metrics that's a much richer, more robust thing. And from my experience with the literature, it's a very heady, very macro contingency heavy and a lot less like real talk, how to deal with people and building and put it, like filling in some of those social skills and soft skills that are necessary for it to be successful. I would Again, agree with that and maybe refine it as the people that are largely in, in charge of like a lot of the contingencies that ended up shaping this culture from conferences to um publications to certification know of those cultural things and have gone through PhD. I know people personally that they know the value of these sort of things and they're just not prioritized. And that's the part that like really, really fucking disheartens me. And like, if I'm being super honest, like the, the first 10 years or the 10 years I've been in the field, it's been this progression, like this arc of super into behavior analysis and thinking the world can be saved. And it just starts to go downhill as a result of like, these systemic issues and I do not experience systemic issues on the degree that y'all experience them and other people um, in, cult, in, in society. But like, I, I get fucking disheartened to the point that. Yeah. yeah they're extinguishing. Yeah. They're extinguishing. Yeah. And like, yeah. and like it yeah. makes me want to fucking cry. Like I want yeah. Like, it's like, it's like we have the ability and we fail and we yeah. choose to fail. Yeah. And I think what got me and I'm just going to say it is like, you first came out with a statement saying that this wasn't your your space, right? That you were just a credentialing board. Um, and that then people started posting your response of like, that's not our, our space to touch on that. Um, we're a credentialing board, but this isn't the first time. This isn't the second time. This isn't the third time. You know, like you said, there's been research that's out there and as macro or surface level or whatever, you know, that has been or not been, it's still been put in your face and you're not prioritizing it. And I talk about it on my podcast. I say people on the surface level think that this is important, but then other things come up. You know, the focus of the BACB was that we have... 50% of our certificates are five years or less. So we need to make sure that they're functioning ethically. We need to make sure that they got the knowledge. And all of that was prioritized more than making sure our people knew how to talk to their families, knew how to work with their coworkers, knew how to not tell a, not tell a Latina mom, oh, that's what we're calling illegal immigrants now? That right, you'll hear about that later. So why was just why does everything else can get pushed aside, pushed aside, pushed aside, and all this there's never gonna be a right time. And, 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 and here's the thing. And my thing with that is that because I think what you're saying really matches up very nicely with the constant criticism that we have, and that's the lack of emphasis in fluid, fluent performance to be produced as a result of the scope and the sequence of, of the courses. And like, mm -hmm. rather than just like an enumerated list of these like skills that seem related, but really they're not. And like Tony Billen was talking about them, how they're like, 
there's 13 basically basic skills that you learn. I never really, because you look at the tasks, it looks yeah. so gigantic, but holy shit, it is just really 13 things. <laughs> so you spend it, you spend $25,000 or whatever on a master's degree and 1,500, 2,000 hours of supervision to learn 13 things. And then you wonder, and, and you're not even held to a standard where you have to do them to fluency so that your performance is like fluid and, and like practiced yeah. and well-performed and, and, and high level professional, like, like expert, right? And then you wonder why you get quality control issues in a field. And then you wonder why you get all these various degrees of deviance and behavioral variability from scope and competence. Like it's, yeah. it, like what you're saying is a fa- like it's a like anyone who would deny it. It's, I mean, it's a fact. It's a reality. What we do? It's 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 a fact. Part of this part of this discussion is also I I feel like all entities that are um, like if we took the example of the BACB statement, I need more in a statement. If there's like I need some explanation as to like where that statement's coming from. Are you not allowed to do that because of certain regulations with your NCCA or credit? Like, like what is going on here? And like, if you can't talk about it, then uh, in certain capacities for legal reasons or whatever, then state that, but also realize that the implications of that are going to be disenfranchising certificate holders, right? On very important uh, issues. And like, that might be something where you, then they go up and say, Hey, yo, like if we can't really talk about this, like something needs to change. Like there, I feel like there's not a, there's not a complete picture on why we can't take a harder stance sorry but then came out with a statement yeah but the statement was like we don't make statements about this like why like why don't you make (laughs) statements about this right like there's 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 i guarantee the bacb's media team is listening this episode right now and i guarantee that there's a legal department that's looking through everything they're saying hi bacb what up (laughs) right like yes they have a media team i i don't have any justification for this but like i like come on i hope that's true actually that means that means we're pushing things way further than i thought it's like it's like so what the BACB and I was talking to my my practicum student yesterday and she was like when the credentialing board said that that made me feel devalued as a certificate as a potential um, BCBA in your entity that you don't see me you don't see the barriers that I got to go through to even sit and take that PM exam you know to then go out in the world and make y'all look good yeah, it also kind of exposes that it's more of a box to check, and it just brings the truth of it out. Well, it's, and, I, and here's my thing, and that's been and, on, and that's on. Okay, hold on, there's one second. That's honestly been my issue with like taking it seriously for so many years, honestly, because like there's a gaslight that goes on where it's like, oh, we take this so seriously, it's so real. Uh, but I mean, really, their their actions say we're ticking boxes, like so that no one can yeah. come back on us later. So it's like not yeah. the lack of sincerity that's behind it, and the lack of action speaks so into volumes that like at some point. You either you either look at it as the, the silly bullshit thing that they're doing or you start taking action towards it to force the issue to make to make right. the substantive changes necessary because that's the, that they, the decision gets pushed on you. You know what I mean? And that's the thing yeah. that I see with that is that like it's I mean, like at some point it's like one thing that who are you going to look for for change? You know, because you were asking before, like, again, how do we address some of these issues? I think what you guys are doing is how you do it. I think yep. at, at some point you say, fuck you. I'll just make my own organization. Yep. What you're saying. You're, and you're like, pushing and, the and, culture. And, and press and plus, re, you know, and press reset. You know, because I had no idea that you'd, you'd done the whole process to go become a 503C and all that stuff. Like, to me, that's that's action. That's, that's activism. That's action. That's doing. Right? That, that Doing breeds change, right? Not clicking. So, like... 
eventually, you know, like dinosaurs go extinct. It's inevitable, right? Like, I mean, behavior is selected by consequences and evolution is a, consequence, is a, is a selection of consequences as well. So, I mean, the yeah. way you evolve things over time is through a selective process, right? So, I mean, like, let's create the conditions for the selection to just occur at some point, because then begging people to come along and to change sometimes is almost like, and again, I don't, I'm not, I hope you don't take this to me lecturing or whatever, but I mean, like, it, it just becomes exhausting. Like, why fucking bother? Mm-hmm. Them? It's like, fuck you, fine. No thanks. I, I, Next. Like, I don't whatever. know if this segues at all, but I wholeheartedly believe from watching, like, how engulfed I got with YouTube culture and looking back as to, like, how that shaped up from 06, 07 and onwards, like, Behavior analysis and science in general, I think, is is slow because of the the process of science is much slower. And I really think we're just at the tip, tip, tip of an iceberg of like the number of podcasts, the number of social media things. Like, yeah. like if our yeah. field is exponentially growing, like they're projecting, and then and we're seeing, I don't know what it is this year alone, probably uh, another ten or twelve podcasts pop up. Like, like we're we're. A lot of the growing pains and things like this that I experience, I've seen others talk about and deal with in a in that culture previously, mm-hmm. um, and some of them systemically keep occurring. Like um, the, I don't know. We have the ability to learn as a community behavior analyst what others have tried when it comes to interneting and and the social media and doing things. We also have the power of behavior analysis in a way we could avoid a lot of those things. Um, and, and that's where I look to entities like BACB, APBA, ABI, anyone who's really pushing the culture, even podcasts, like we have the ability to do it better off of the backs of the people, um, or off the experiences of other industries, um, and people that have, have, have messed up in those sort of ways. So, um, yeah. And I think Danielle, you pointed out, you know, the, um, petition, that's going on. And that's a conversation that we have had with someone on the BACB of like, where do we start to get this going? You know, Um, because that's a mission of BABA is to um, not only uplift our black community, but also recognize why our black community feels this way. What is the rooted issue? And then what's the solution to that? Right? The black community, BABA was created because mistakes were made. And mistakes continue to be being made. Right. So for those of you who are like, why do you need a separate space? Because there's mistakes every day. But with that being said, how do we improve those mistakes and bring those solutions? And one of them is to just start at the surface level of requiring diversity, equity and inclusion training. That's surface level. That is not something that we should be saying in 2020 that we should be begging you to need. Like NASCAR just um, removed <laughs> Confederate flags from like, you're, yeah. asking, you're saying in 2020, that's the basis of where yeah, I got to yeah. start? Fine. Exactly. Fine. You know, we, we can start our task analysis at whatever step you need to start it at, but know our yeah. end goal is a systemic change. And we are calling for a systemic change within our credentialing board process, whatever, you know, Um, we want more SMEs of color, you know, and you know what, like, just like you guys said, we have people on the show that inquire about being on the show. To be an SME, you got to apply. So I challenge more diverse people to apply to be an SME, apply to those board seats. You know what I mean? Get your IRB, do the research, 
get away from this macro level research and start doing the specific Dimitri. If you don't like it, fix it, you know? Um, so no, I, I, do something about right. it. Like yeah, the, we're all about shifting the research is a big piece of it. Honestly, shifting the research is what's going to shift the discussion yeah. on that level too. Cause the ivory tower is kind of, it's, I mean, it, uh, that's a thing that we criticize on the show a lot. Like, I mean, the academic ivory tower is this like pillar of man, it, out of touch seems seems generous like yeah. you know like and and i don't mean it because i mean like it's like a lot of like again going back to the whole thing like superficial like virtue signaling and like signifying that yeah we do yeah oh my god yeah we, we do we love all this stuff oh but like it, none of it really translates like no one's actually doing anything so then it becomes a thing that you just kind of like roll your eyes at and just wait for it to pass over and you're like okay fuck it let's let's write another essay about this kids like Where's the action? Where's the doing? So, and, and yeah, I think research is going to be the area where it matters. And like we were talking about derived relational responding. I mean, that is a way to do it. I mean, the context, the the journal of contextual behavior science has a ton of IRAP research, but I mean, like at some point in time, we also have to expand the scope of what we're, of what our inquiry is. Right. Cause of course you want to have those, 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 those things, but I mean like, what are some of the other contingencies and what are some of those? Because like people like sexy research topics. They like mm-hmm. edgy stuff. That's a thing that's pretty corny. Cool it helps get get you published. So but also, I, mean, like, that, I, would, I would really challenge people to do that. For sure. That would be my from a person of color because that's another thing. We can of talk course. About. People of, course. of color will submit mm-hmm. for journal articles and not get chosen. Yep. It happens every day. Yeah, the journals are you know, a whole yeah, different like, monopoly that like, that's like another hour. That's, let's just like, that is an episode bad. in it. That's an episode in and of itself. Like yeah, seriously, yeah, yeah. is this like the journals are like a mafia that, that like, now you want to talk about people you don't want to piss off. Like if you ever do want to get published, we love you. We're really sorry. Like the, the, it's like, it's like the, the academic Illuminati are listening to this. Like, that's how, yeah. like that's how serious the journal, like, Listen, like that's, it's a political game, like to the max. I serious. challenge everyone to do better. Did you hear me? I challenge everyone that includes academia, research, everyone, the day-to-day practitioner, the day-to-day ABA agency, the day-to-day, you know, organization, the day-to-day podcast, the you know CEUs. I challenge everyone to do better. So. Oh man, marvelous! We, we, we've gone yeah, marvelous. <laughs> we've gone, we've gone way over. Um, any uh, anything else that you guys wanted to touch on? Any last last thoughts? You want to throw out your social media and all that oh, other stuff? People yeah, can and find Baba, you? the event. Yeah, yeah that. Baba. Um, we got a lot going on, guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, we have a lot of we have a lot of things coming up. Um, that we are very super excited about. Some people on the show are going to be very involved um, with that. So we'll we'll touch on that later. But um, number one, we have a CEU event coming up July 7th with Tyra Sellers. And she's going to be talking about supervision in relations to DEI and what considerations we need to make and how to provide quality supervision. Because um, that's kind of where it starts a little bit there too of how are we including some of this conversation in with our practicum students, you know, to uplift them. Um, So that'll be July 7th. We open up official membership in July as well. Um, So we welcome our allies, our advocates, and, you know, our Black practitioners as well to come get these very good benefits um, and these updated year two benefits that we're going to have. We're just so very excited. 
Um, and then lastly, what everyone is going to be waiting for is our BABA conference. And we are going to have that conference here in Detroit at Wayne State University. Um, and we actually just kind of revamped the name. So it's going to, it's called the From Diversity and Inclusion to Building Our Own Table. Because nice. um, we wanted to create this conference to be something that people haven't seen before and taking into consideration all the aspects um, that kind of hold people back from uh, getting quality trainings from conferences and not hearing the same talks at these conferences. So we're going to have talks on OBN, climate change, sustainability, autism, yeah, um, problem behavior, you know, health and fitness in ABA, technology in ABA, or how to, cool. like Ryan, I would love to hear a talk on like, how can ABA be better innovative? You know, your team on location project, love it. <laughs> love the idea, love the concept. Um, yeah. I thought about it yesterday when I was talking to somebody and I was like, you know, location would really like this. <laughs> but, you know, we wanna be that, that space for people to come and to get all that knowledge. And so it'll be next June, June 19th through the 21st. And we're gonna be calling for papers here in the next couple of weeks. So get your get your abstracts ready and you know enjoy. Detroit's gonna be amazing. Everyone's gonna be so shocked. I'm so excited. Um, I'm excited for Camille to come home. <laughs> I know, me too. I can't wait. Yeah, so keep us with that. And then we also have just monthly town halls for individuals that just wanna kind of keep up to date as to what we got going on. And we always feature a partnership that we have. So um, you can, you know, get a platform where you can learn just about other organizations, even cool. within just BABA. So, um, I also yeah. want to say, too, I don't know when this is going to drop, but in case it drops before June 19th or Juneteenth, um, I'm teaming up with Akamai ABA Exam Prep Workshop. It's me, a few other um, BCBAs, including Behavior Bitches, and pretty much it's literally like a $5 minimum donation. And you literally just donate the proceeds to go towards the NAACP, um, their um, legal defense and education fund. And then you just get like a live mini mock workshop. So it's just cool. kind of essentially like studying um, for a cause. So if you do come to my Instagram, um, it's Cam Will, yeah, made it with underscore. Um, you'll actually see a ton of posts. You're actually, um, but pretty much if you want cool. to like directly sign up for this. Um, please go to her name is local BCBA on Instagram and yeah and also the other group that I am in ABA uh, practitioners impacted by the military uh, we have donated $600 um, so literally it's a whole ton of scholarships that are available for this so please come study come study cool. with us hopefully my questions won't be too easy we'll, we'll make sure to get it out before then um, yeah. to make sure that that call is yeah, active sweet this um, is thank you thank yeah. you so much yeah, yeah. Is great. Well, thank you guys honestly. yeah thank, thank you, you. deep down in my behavioral heart and soul thank you so much for the i really uh, i really needed this conversation it was just like really nice awesome. thank you guys thank you. you i hope this isn't the last conversation we i was have. gonna say no. i feel like we'll be back